to the Save Room Plays, the podcast where we talk about the games we're touching and the games that touch us uh, consensually. I just, I just want course. you to know. That's yeah. important. I, we went a few episodes not really specifying that. Mm-hmm. Um, we say yes to the games. <laughs> and then they just go buck wild. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a very special episode, Daniel. Wow. This is the game of the year 2020. Hell yeah, it is. Episode, man. 12 years of... 12 years. 12 whole years. 2020 was 12 whole years. <laughs> 12 months of podcasting and video game releases yeah. all culminating to this 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 moment. This save room cinematic podcast moment of, of excellence. Absolutely. <laughs> we got we got all the guest stars. Uh, Doctor Strange will be mm-hmm. on the episode yeah. later. Um, Dr. Lupo. Dr. Lupo. Actually, all the doctors. Every doctor on Twitch. Uh, <laughs> not Dr. Disrespect. He got banned from this podcast a long time ago. Can't get into the details. Why? Yeah. We What's actually don't racism? know. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this is a good time, man. We're in 2021 now. Ooh. Everything feels different. We're yeah. on the other side, man. Light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like COVID's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the quarantines have been like lifted. just lifted, dude. Mm-hmm. People Everybody's are fucking, vaccinated. They're vaccinated. We're open mouth kissing strangers again. It's so fantastic. Wow. 2021, perfect. I'm so glad that just making New Year's resolutions fixed everything instead of actually taking systemic approaches to our issues. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of what you described there actually sounds like 1921. 19- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did? How, what were the parties like after? After uh, the influenza, right? <laughs> That's Just, when the Roaring Twenties happened. Oh, uh, dude, people were probably finger banging like nuts, mm-hmm. like nuts, dude. Everyone, everyone had stinky hands. <laughs> I can't wait to see the what F. Did I Scott just say? Fitzgerald of our time describe these 20s. We need to rein this motherfucker in. We gotta rein it in, man. This is a serious podcast about serious video games. Yeah. Okay? Okay? This is the 2020 game of the year, Bonanza. Ben- <laughs> really? It's a yeah. Bonanza now? You're gonna put that Blowout? in the title? Blowout? Yeah. Hootenanny. Fucking throwdown. The throwdown. This is the 2020 throwdown. <laughs> 2020 threw us down. We're gonna throw we're, it We're down. punching back. Sir. Okay, a lot of games. A lot of games. A lot of good Let games. me tell you, this this was a, a hell of a year in and out of the industry. Like, and I feel like for once, why? I, what happened? Oh, you know, COVID. <laughs> that that's really it. <laughs> no, but like, I, I I feel like this this was a very pressure cooker of the year in and out of the, the industry. Like between like COVID, Black Lives Matter movement, all this other stuff that was going on, and th- the one kind of solace that we had because it's like we were stuck inside all year. Uh, outside of content creators, our favorite media was video games. And video games. Kind of indulging in the the medium. And other years where I'd feel bad about holding up every day of the year and playing video games and alienating my friends, this year, it was socially acceptable. Right. You were being a warrior in the front lines mm-hmm. by sitting at home and, I don't know, gardening and Animal Crossing or fucking riding chocobos and ziv. Mm-hmm. You were a hero. Okay, we talk about the young men that were drafted in World War II. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the people that were drafted in Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> those are the those are the kids that we need to make monuments for to the Masons of the world, the, the, the Gen Y Masons, our next gen heroes. <laughs> this one's for you. Yeah, so you know, and it's interesting looking back at these games too. I wonder how different it's going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned this a few times, where it's like these games were in production that came out in 2020, like mm-hmm. you know, years before this year what's it going to be like going forward, mm-hmm. right? Because we even we saw at the tail end of this year, a bunch of studios, big studios, struggled. Struggle to get stuff out on time. Yeah, whether they're working from home mm-hmm. uh, or 
running at reduced capacity, what have you. Obviously, there's impacts across literally every mm. industry, and video games was no different, right? Yeah. It's all a nice little boom financially at the mm. beginning of the year because everyone was like, fuck, I, I guess I'm going to get a Switch. You yeah. Know? Nintendo, I think, saw some of its best like financial weeks and quarters as a result because right. everybody's like, well, I guess I'll play Animal Crossing. <laughs> right. So like, like so that's a positive side of the story. And then yeah. the other side is that people can't even get a hold of a Switch. Yeah. You know, and then that trickle down happened to the next gen consoles. People mm. just couldn't get a hold of them because distribution's whack, mm. weren't able to manufacture enough in time, just all sorts of fucking crazy yeah, shit. I, for as much as like video games were like one of the benefits of this year, it's I think a lot of the industry is going to limp into 2021 because yeah. it's like you said, you have people working from home, things are at reduced capacity now, and I think unfortunately we're going to see things kind of at a slower rate, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of release schedules or manufacturing or, or that, See, that's a good point too. I think studios are going to be far more reticent to have release dates on mm-hmm. their products now. They'll give you like a loose idea. Mm-hmm. One example, Resident Evil 8. Resident Evil 8 is coming out next year and they still won't tell us when next year. Like, we're, wait, 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 we're in next year. It's 2021. They still won't tell us when it's, when it's coming out. It's like, oh, uh, okay, because they don't even know. I would prefer that, though, than what we've gotten, not just last year, but, like, literally through the last, like, 10 years and, oh, and, yeah. and prior of, of gaming where it's like, hey, we're going to put an announce date on this thing and then push it out and then push it out. And then when we finally do get it certified gold, even though it's not ready, Cyberpunk, we're going to push it out anyway, and it's going to be this fucking disaster case of a game. Yeah. And I would love to see studios, like, hold their hand a little bit more yeah. and release products that, like, they feel comfortable putting out because they know it's a quality product at that point. God, you know, you're already touching on it. So before we get into our... Uh our lists, which we have a loose idea of what we want to do. Me and Daniel both have a top 10 yes. of our favorite games. We're going to briefly mention the bottom five, but mm-hmm. really parse out the top oh, yeah. five, gonna... why they matter, mm-hmm. and what they did to us. So why they changed the world. Why they absolutely changed society. I want to say, I think we, we talked about this like early in the year with our, like, what, it might have been a hot take or maybe like a bet episode we had where I was like, gamers are dumb. I mean, yeah, that's that's the through line of all these podcasts. Yeah. Gamers are stupid. I, I've been trying to get to that for a while. Nobody seems to listen. But it, w- it was my, my bet that Animal Crossing would be, like, the top-selling game of the year. And I think it is. <laughs> like, my bet that it would actually outsell uh, Cyberpunk. Okay. Yeah. That might be an easy bar to clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to 2019, Daniel, mm-hmm. where you said... I hope Animal Crossing never comes out. Mm. <laughs> I want to go back to that, Daniel. <laughs> the Daniel, the, see, 2020 Daniel eventually bought this game that I he did. hoped never. I would did, come. <laughs> and I, I had some joyful moments with can, it. Can we go back? What, what was the impetus behind that? You're just like annoyed in some way. I forget why. I think it was the all the Nintendo directs that happened where people were like screaming for it, and then when it oh, didn't happen, right. they, they were just like really upset about it. And I'm like, all right, well, you know. That happens. People are yeah. so upset that Mother 3 hasn't come out or that Metroid 4, 4 has not come out. There is no any, Mother 3 that it will come like, out. So yeah. be happy okay. that you got at least like Pocket Camp, you know? I was trying to figure that out. So like that's, that's the same way where I'm like relieved that Cyberpunk came out yeah. so we can stop fucking talking about it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, you know, or people stop screaming about how it's going to be a generation definer. No, it, it, it actually, I agree. It did define a generation, mm-hmm. define this generation in the worst possible way. So that's why I want to get into before our top 10 list, our favorite news stories of this year. Just a quick flyby. Mm-hmm. What was one of, uh, what stood out to you in 2020 as far as gaming media goes? You know, it's it's been a unique year, right? Where I feel like we would have gotten a lot of these in-person events, in-person news and announcement and like. The format shifted, obviously, because of COVID. A lot of stuff happened in terms of, like, you know, virtual formats. Um, A lot of these companies doing their own sort of, like, controlled streams for their 
announcements and release like you know sony over the summer with their playstation 5 showcase which you know was probably like one of my top things of the year is just kind of a, a general like here's what's coming for next gen i think their their june and july showcases for the ps5 were really stellar that's that's definitely something that i i really enjoyed all the other stuff is just kind of like all over the place in terms of like what happened, what's sh- what kind of stuck with me. Um, I think some of the the pure moments that that I really enjoyed were were the AOC moments of the year. Mm. You know, for the like, kids at home that don't know, yeah, what does AOC stand for? Uh, they can think what we're talking about, like a, <laughs> like a company that remakes games or something. <laughs> what? Oh fuck! What does her full name stand? Alexandria for? something Ascasio Cortez. Alexandria Ostasio Cortez? Oscasio? Oscasio? Ostasio? AOC. I can't so, say it right. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't either. But. I'm Hispanic. That's shameful. It is shameful. That's super shameful that I can't pronounce. I can roll my R's pretty well, though. Do it. Give me a word that has an R in it. Resident Evil. Resident Evil. I don't think that counts. <laughs> that, okay, how about another one? Give me a Spanish word. <laughs> no. <laughs> With an R. <laughs> but her, her moments in gaming this year actually just took me by surprise because they were very... Cerveza. <laughs> they were very pure yeah. um, and unexpected. Um, the moments of her, you know, playing Animal Crossing were always good. And then the ones where... She was visiting people's islands. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That was really great. Yeah. And then the whole thing with uh, Among Us, like, kind of being part of that community for a little bit to raise awareness and... Um, Just about of, voting. Yeah, voting yeah. and trying to get people mm-hmm. out there and get that kind of fervor for it. And that, that was really cool. Because I think, especially in the political space, gaming is seen as, like, a play thing. And you have these people... Like, or a scapegoat. Or a scapegoat. You have AOC, you have, like, even Biden's campaign using it to uh, kind of push these, like, important things out there that I think otherwise are being missed by, like, younger audiences. And it was cool. The, the... What was Biden doing? He's playing Apex or something? <laughs> What's happening? No, he was playing... Um, uh, he's out there clicking heads. Tolerance. Changing hearts. With uh, Andy oh. Cortez. <laughs> oh, no, that's not good for his campaign. Nobody would know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was definitely, like, one of my top moments of the year just kind of seeing that happen and seeing the community respond to it in in really positive ways yeah uh one of mine is when uh dr disrespect was suddenly uh banned from twitch um oh wow what happened nobody knows (laughs) i i again we can only uh throw our speculation out out there because twitch never came out with an official statement Mm -hmm. and dr disrespect swears up and down that he doesn't know why they did it uh, it could just be a contract thing. It could just be where, I don't know, they made a decision where it's like, you're a bad look for us or something. I, I'm not sure. I didn't engage with the doctor's content enough. Yeah. I've always found him. I'm not his nurse. I don't know. Increasingly annoying, right? Like, I get I get doing, like, a whole character thing, but his character is just so fucking outlandish. It's just so much. Mm-hmm. It's like, it. it's one of the characterizations that I feel like holds back gaming. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, like, a big statement, but... But it is. It just it makes it seem so much more immature. Like we're still rooted in it being a boys club, uh, you know, clicking heads and playing Call of Duty situation instead of it being a medium that can mean something to people and unite people. Right. Mm. And like he just feels like the persona that holds it back. Mm. That's, <laughs> That's exactly what I think about PewDiePie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Same 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 through line. Right. Except for, you know, uh, the whole flagrant racism thing. Mm. The thing about PewDiePie is that I don't think he's a genuine racist. I think he's <laughs> such a sociopath that it doesn't matter to him, mm-hmm. like people's races or what offends them. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> like, and that's that's more troubling about yeah. that guy. But Doctor Disrespect is obviously like plugging into. Uh, he knows what works, knows what mm-hmm. demo to hit, knows how big to go, kind of thing. Sure. It's so annoying, and so out of nowhere to have this guy just like kicked off. <laughs> it's just like, oh shit! Can't help but notice, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just thought that was like a, a standout thing um, this year, but otherwise, the stuff that 
really land I, I can't even say favorite but the stuff mm-hmm. that i had to notice was like all the shit going on with um the industry itself mm-hmm. crunch culture still being a thing mm-hmm. we're still having these conversations yeah. and shining a fucking light on you know companies like naughty dog and now cdpr mm-hmm. uh that event itself i think might be the highlight not of just the year but of our generation in a very bad way crunch but it's like industry like kind of restructuring right everything that happened with cdpr is literally like a pulse check for what's going on where it's like triple a is not sustainable Mm -hmm. and having top-down executive decisions that one make people suffer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and two end up with a product where they over promised and super undelivered Mm -hmm. under delivered because the game's a buggy mess, right? It feels like the conversations about crunch are very cyclical. It's like where it happens, the Shriers come out, they expose it. All these yeah. kind of employees come out anonymously about it. We saw it with Red Dead Redemption 2 in 2018. Mm-hmm. But I think that one, people justified it a little differently because they're like, well, Red Dead 2 is actually like a really great game. Yes. And it's like, it doesn't matter the quality of the product, whether it's that, whether it's The Last of Us Part 2 or a game that came out like CD Projekt Red. It's never excusable and it shouldn't happen. Right. And it shouldn't take the success stories of smaller indie studios like Supergiant and Hades to be these flagships of like, oh, well, we don't crunch. So that's why we're successful. It's like, no, we should already be taking these stories in into consideration and fixing it mm. because there's something broken about the development system and, and how these studios operate yeah we put a lot of truck in the end product right yeah. like when a game comes out and it's good we go okay well we justified all that pain right mm. like it didn't matter <laughs> you know they they made a good thing anyway mm. and i think having a um a huge collision basically like a, a, a virtual plane crash mm. uh that that cyberpunk 2077 was is a nice like not nice but it is a kind of a change that narrative where it's like look Crunch doesn't work out all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's there's also a whole lot of other other decision making and problems mm-hmm. like trying to hit arbitrary release dates yeah. just because you're trying to get into a financial quarter mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense for the end product because it comes down to as a fan as customers we're buying these underbaked products mm-hmm. that the marketing blitz is telling you is like godly and the biggest fuck you that this company did was withhold. Uh, review copies of the console versions. Oh yeah, they straight out fucking lied and manipulated right. the the release of it. And the thing is, I can't just place this all on CDPR. These tracks have been laid for years. Mm-hmm. Look at Bethesda saying, "Hey, we're not going to give uh, review copies until the day that it releases because we we want everyone to play it at once." Mm-hmm. Fuck you. That's not why. <laughs> That's not fucking why. You know, it's like in these things just happen, and it's like you can call it out a little, but fans go like, "Well, I'm going to buy it anyway," right? Mm-hmm. And it's true. The only thing that's going to get these things to stop is the thing that gamers can't seem to do. Is stop putting your money in. Myself included. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> speak with your speak with your wallet in these right. cases. And I think we have the difficulty of doing just that. We want to indulge in the product, whether it's good or bad, because we want to play the shiny new thing. Right. And it's just like, sometimes just maybe think about it with your head. Think about it from a, a moral standpoint. Don't, you know? Mm-hmm. If you want these companies to change their tune and do things differently, the only way that we can really affect it is by hitting them where it hurts. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that'll start to happen, right? The whole refund mm-hmm. uh, charade <laughs> that occurred with Cyberpunk is, like, one of the first. Like, that is something that company is fucking, like, hurting on right now. I think that's actually probably, like, the biggest yeah. moment of 2020 that happened oh, within, like, the last two weeks. Sony... <laughs> Goddamn pulled down digital copies of Cyberpunk mm-hmm. 2077. I mean, the first unforced error was CD Projekt Red 
outwardly saying, oh, go bother Sony and Microsoft for refunds without engaging their partners mm-hmm. about this. Ooh. Yeah, that was not Ooh. a good look, not a good situation. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good thing. But I, I think this is an important moment. It's like one of those watershed moments where mm-hmm. it's like, hmm. Because the point that I'm trying to drive is that this could have happened to any AAA studio because the industry is so fucking off kilter right now Mm -hmm. to get these big old productions out the door that it's just mess after mess after mess. It's amazing. It's amazing that games come out in in any state that's playable. Mm considering the conditions that they're made in. So that's a big change that we need to make. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, but somebody had to be like the one that gets splayed out in front of the crowds mm-hmm. for this to happen, right? Could have been Naughty Dog. Could have been Naughty Dog. <laughs> Could have been anyone. Could have yeah. been Rockstar. Could have been any one of these studios. But it was them. Sorry. And it's interesting to see the people who defended this game like fucking eight years ago to the, the day of release kind of yeah. changing their tune on it where it's like, oh, yeah, this is not the game that I was looking forward to, the game yeah. that we were promised. And I'm disappointed in it. And you see those people who are, I don't know, kind of staunch fanboys changing their tune because it's like they can even see that something's fucked up. Mm-hmm. This, this product and thing that they kind of praise just because it's something they thought that was their own. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, stop doing that. Stop holding these companies in such high regard and praise like they're made by people who are fallible and can fuck up and make bad decisions and you don't have to just defend it blindly you know yep yep so that was i don't know that's definitely one of the bigger more important moments of this year there's another one that we'll probably get into uh and i think a lot of that's going to be the discourse and conversation we'll have surrounding like the last of us part two which was just like i don't care and this is just going to go across the board. I don't care your thoughts on a studio. I don't care your thoughts on their decisions on how they decided to change a narrative or do X, Y, and Z to your favorite characters. That's their decision as a company. Mm-hmm. That aside, do not toxically come at developers, people involved in the product at all, and give them death threats or threats of any kind. Like, it's not okay. And you're just coming at them over a video game. Like, the backlash and shit that I saw from, like, The Last of Us Part Two, just over, like, leaks and rumors and shit that it didn't even make it into the game is just inexcusable. And the fact that, like, hmm. human beings operated on that level for any amount of weeks, like, leading up to it and after, it's just kind of disgusting. And it puts a bad look on the industry. And I hate that shit, and I hope it changes. But, unfortunately, there's, like, always these people that are going to exist that are going to be this way. I think, um going off of that just like try to root cause a bit not that i'm trying to diagnose people or anything but i think it's one thing to say that your hobby or passion is a big part of your life like obviously we're here doing a fucking podcast because gaming is a big part of like our day-to-days like we we love gaming i love uh games and and just the medium itself but i think what you need to examine as a fan is your relationship with media Mm -hmm. and if you ever see that there's choices being made with a product, disappointment, it like honestly should be the biggest extreme for you. Mm-hmm. That, that that should be it. it I'm disappointed in this, and it should stop there. If you have a visceral reaction to a choice made in a story or with characters that you love to the point where you feel like you need to reach out to actual living people mm-hmm. and threaten them in any sort of way, you need to start cutting those bonds in your life. Something's not working. <laughs> you need to re-examine that completely, and you might even need to get help. Yeah. Because there is no way that you're making that connection and are healthy. <laughs> It's very yeah, simple. It's not a healthy a behavior, and we need to call it out like that. It's it's not good. It's not great, and you're not, you know, rebel rousing the people to get the big sweeping changes you want by fucking threatening voice actors in their DMs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really need to have a big reexamination about your relationship with media mm-hmm. because it's too close. 
<laughs> it's yeah. way too close. It reminds me of a lot of the stuff that happened with like the Last Jedi and Kelly Marie Tran, like the sort right. of death threats and hate that like Laura Bailey is getting just because she played a character who did a thing that hurts uh, everybody's favorite dad in video games. It's just like, oh no, like let it go. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's not that important. On one side, it's wonderful that anyone can be able to connect with art. I think as a creator, it would be like, this is amazing. People are feeling things about this thing that I created. But on the other side, to like go to that extreme, Mm. oh, you need to throw up some blockers like right away and be like, what's wrong with me? Is Mm. the question that you need to ask yourself. I'm sorry, but that's that's what it is, right? Man, this is a fun episode already. This is a fun 2020 (laughs) I mean, looking back at like... (laughs) 2020's hindsight, right? And there's a lot of shit that happened this year. Yeah. Like, like the video games were the high of the year, honestly, just playing them, getting our hands on them. But the industry shit that was happening in between, it's like some of it was disappointing. Some of it is empowering to see like things change. And some of it leaves me wanting because there's so much room for improvement. And I hope that like we don't stop here. We keep going. We keep kind of trying to better ourselves as an industry and as people. It's, you know, it's being hopeful, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see how it happens separate pivot conversation but take the stuff that you know happened with ubisoft right right like all the workplace allegations stuff that was happening from like senior leadership stuff that is probably happening in other countries that other countries in other companies that is still kind of on the hush hush like this sort of stuff coming out and being exposed was super important and i hope we just don't sleep on it you know i hope it's just like Mm. we keep going with that same fervor and keep toppling these companies where this sort of misconduct is happening Mm -hmm. absolutely we should be demanding better yeah right regardless of whatever the result of the products that we love from these companies are we should always demand better because honestly yeah (laughs) we're talking about humanity at this point right we Mm -hmm. want we want to know that the people that bring us the things that we love are in you know at least good conditions you know mm. good working conditions are are being treated well i mean that that's honestly such a low fucking bar for us to even have this conversation where we're just like hmm i really love mortal Kombat, but god damn i hope that this person wasn't sexually harassed during the fucking making of yeah. it like those are, <laughs> like, are not like, the questions we should have to be asking about ever <laughs> but unfortunately like right. that's kind of the byproduct of any work environment it shouldn't be that shouldn't be a statement that i should be any saying people environment, any people environment yeah. but mm-hmm. I think there are, especially because we always talk about how video games is such a new industry. Yeah. Where I feel like there's, you know, some of that um, kind of locker room culture that still gets propagated and Mm -hmm. kind of machismo. And women in the industry are just as important as men are. And I feel like they are allowed, they should be allowed equal space without having to worry about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to uh, turn in your gamer badge there, buddy. Uh, You just broke one of the sacred rules talking down to men uh suggesting that women are equal to men in any sort of way (laughs) (laughs) he's joking what (laughs) you think i'm hang on i gotta dm DM neil Druckmann. hello mr cuck man (laughs) nailed you you son of a bitch i cannot believe you did oh fuck i gotta wiki the game who's that character (laughs) i forgot why i'm angry yeah (laughs) just re-examine yourself y'all we want better we want better going into these years and i i don't think um I think what what's interesting about 2020 was that, like you mentioned, it was a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. All of our issues in society fucking came up to a boil, man. Mm-hmm. It was like worms crawling out of the dirt after a nice rain. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's exactly what this year was. But it doesn't mean that we make this correlation and just say, oh, well, this shit only felt bad because it was a pandemic. Mm-hmm. No, this this stuff was always there. Yeah. 
always there (laughs) okay and i think in a lot of ways it felt worse because we couldn't avoid it in similar ways where it's like okay we were all i think equally engaged in social media to exhaustive amounts this year always engaging in the next trend or next like political (laughs) problem or thing that was going on because it's all we could really do yeah i feel like i damaged my brain through like the levels of stress that i was just injecting into my face scroll after scroll like, I have synapses that'll never go back to how they were. I have a year. weird muscle memory with like the swipe on Twitter with my left hand and mm-hmm. it feels weird where like when I get anxious, I do like a reach to my phone and I'm like, what am I doing? There's nothing there. <laughs> but I still do it. Like mm-hmm. we need to, oof. that's a different problem. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> but I, I think this is a good year for, or 2020 was a good year for examination and really just trying to be better, do better and stand up for the stuff that that matters right not letting shit fly anymore right just because not just because what a tender talk what a tender talk what a tender talk i mean what do we move on into i don't know man i think here's how we should do it okay so we have our top 10 list respectively and we'll do it as we do every year right respectful we will do our round robin um i think our our top one game is the same so maybe we could just talk about it in kind of a group conversation yeah and then everything else is just kind of like rearranged orders our lists are basically the same with i think one exception i think i do kind of want to maybe like ease into the conversation with the fact that 2020 was a great year for gaming like i think for for every month that happened there was at least like one or two games that i was like pleasantly like just biding my time with and, and enjoying to the fullest which i i can't always say um, it was a very, very great year of like, you know, indie games, double A games, triple A games, multiplayer experiences, like so many like really cool pockets of, of genres and, and games that I've just felt, it felt refreshing. I don't, I don't know. I really, really enjoyed this year. And to talk about our top tens, it's like, there are so many great games that could have been included in that list in any order. And to say that some games didn't make it isn't even to disparage them. It's just like, I think these are some of our, our preferences, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, how do you how do you pick 10 of the best games when there were probably like 30 to 100 great games that came out this year? Yeah, <laughs> to, to give you guys a heads up on the save room and how we do things around here, we're not trying to do that like, this is objectively no. the best game of the year. No, these are our favorite games of the year. These are the games that made us through. And in fact, when I went to like prioritize my list, there were certain things that would shift because I was like, I think this game might actually be like better in a lot of ways than a, than a different entry mm-hmm. but it's more about like the feelings it evoked for me and what it did for me in a certain time or place mm-hmm. actually last of us part two is an interesting study in that where i think it's a one of the most fantastic games this year mm-hmm. but because it was such a rough game to try to play during like this incredibly stressful year it was hard for me to like put it above other titles that i felt a bigger connection or felt just better playing or mm-hmm. wanted to be in those worlds so that that, that just that's what it is I do want to talk about some of the games that, like, we played that didn't make it, that were actually kind of, like, really special. And Fallen Soldiers. We're not going to get hard into it. These, I don't I'm going to get hard. They could be maybe be, like, honorable mentions or just kind of, like, quick conversations. I just want to be quick. You, you're not going to stop me from getting hard. Uh, <laughs> but there, there were some games that came out this year that I really enjoyed my time with. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. I thought that... That was a good one. That remake, remaster was incredible. Very good. Um, had a lot of fun with that. I thought you were going to get harder into it than you did. I did. Because um, I'm I, so good at it. <laughs> yeah, you, you're insane at that game. Like, I struggled to, like, remember how to play it, and... I should stream it. I had actually never played it on a PlayStation console, which is, I know, sacrilegious. I always played it on yeah. N64. Or it's okay. Dreamcast. I know people that played it on the Dreamcast first. Yeah, exactly. So. Which is an amazing console. I want that to be known. The Dreamcast. 
fuck everyone. <laughs> but that that's kind of like one of my shout outs. Um, g- give me one of yours. One of my shout outs. It's it didn't make it to my list, but I actually really really enjoyed it because I'm a horror buff. Amnesia mm. Rebirth. Oh. I've actually never played any of the Amnesia titles, but I was really really into uh, the story it, it laid forth. Um, I can't think of a video game where I played as a pregnant woman throughout the entirety of it. And had that be like a core function of what's going on. Yeah. There is one, but you don't find out until the end. Fear two. <laughs> Wait, what, what remains? Oh, yeah. you, son, you crafty <laughs> son of a yeah. bitch! Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. So it was really good, but it didn't rank for me in the sense that sometimes the hide and seeky gameplay, which I'm not like a big, I'm not a big buff on, mm-hmm. uh, felt like the the entire game would have served a movie a little bit better, mm. which was odd for me to play a horror game and be like, I wish I was watching this instead of playing this. Maybe that's why they're so popular on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because people just want to watch it because they're like, I don't want to fucking run from a monster. I want to watch PewDiePie running from a monster. <laughs> what was the, the one game everybody played this year? Uh, Fan, Phantasmagoria? Fan, Phantasmagoria, yeah. yeah. Which I do want to play because that sounds awesome. It sounds so awesome. Put it on console. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one for me that didn't make it, but I have to call it out, not just because it's fucking... It was born on my PS5, but Astro's Playroom. Oh, it's um, so good. That game is just such a an amazing platformer, collect-a-thon sort of game, and just such a beautiful love letter to like the last twenty plus years of, of Sony gaming and consoles. There's there's one game on my like on my top ten list that can be like swapped out with any of these games that we're mentioning, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I just like decided to go with one because I had to. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, that that game's so fucking good, and it makes me hunger for a longer Astro's experience. I want more of it. Mm-hmm. I do want more of it i want i don't know if they can do that again more like a sony flavored uh game maybe maybe it could only ever exist as a two-hour thing but i like what that studio does with platformers so i'd be super interested to see them do something much longer Mm. than that i agree with that i'm actually not sure because i've never played it but astrobot rescue mission i'm not sure the format of that game or if it leans similarly that hard into like playstation lineage or if it's just like, hey, I don't think it does. I here's a it's... cool new mascot with platforming. No, no. The only thing is that the ending boss is Mark Cerny, and you got to beat him to death. Oh fuck yeah! It's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like the end scene of um, God of War, where you're first person beating up uh, Hades or not Hades. What's his um, name? Zeus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's end of God of War three. <laughs> but he accepts it. Yeah. Like, he always knew that's how it would end. I mean, that's tragedy, right? Yeah. That's great tragedy. Like, you always know your son's going to kill you. <laughs> what? Yeah. Anyway, another game. <laughs> um, I played a bit of... Okay, so Maneater, I wanted... Oh, my God. I know. Maneater was so fucking good. It's an open-world shark PG. I guess the only... Yep, that's what they <laughs> sold it as. The only thing that holds it back for me is that, the like, I beat the game in a fucking day. Like, I platinum the game in a day. Oh, yeah. I needed way more shark PG than what they gave me. But what I... My entire time with that game was nothing but fun. You I, devoured it like a great white would. I... Exactly. <laughs> it was so good, man. And if you guys didn't know, it's actually coming... Uh, as part of the PlayStation Plus collection free games this month for PS5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, PS5 upgrade is Mm -hmm. available for everyone. Uh, As well as what? Shadow of the Tomb Raider and Greedfall. Uh, Yeah, what the fuck is Greedfall? I don't know. I heard the name and every time I look at it, I'm like, are you Godfall? (laughs) Are you Godfall? (laughs) (laughs) Which we never got to and probably will never play Godfall until they make it a PS Plus game. (laughs) This is going to be a weird shout out, but um, it's not something that I personally got into but i love the fervor around it um fall guys ultimate knockout Mm. i'm not really big into battle royales but i had kind of a a fun time with it when i did play it i think it's just super charming and um 
seeing their social media account like just kind of promote it and have fun with it was was really touching as well um i've enjoyed seeing uh just so many people from the industry come together in kind of supported love of that game uh much like with among us Mm -hmm. and yeah it'll be cool to see that one evolve over time much like you know Fortnite did and other games have and i i hope it maintains popularity because it's i don't know it's just positive goofy fun and sometimes we just need that from video games yeah i uninstalled it after an hour i know you didn't really enjoy it but i thought it was i thought it was fun it was fine i you know what i never enjoyed mario party ah fucking didn't like that game then again, uh, I had three uh, humanless controllers next to me whenever I would play that game. So that might explain a lot of why Mario <laughs> Party fair. did not touch me at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything else on here that I want to majorly call out. Uh, because I we'll get into it at the end of the episode, but my backlog was an intriguing quest mm. this year i think for both of us oh yeah where we played a lot of shit that we did not expect to play mm-hmm. uh not least of which including a fucking mmo yeah. <laughs> and you know a couple other things where it's like it was awesome to revisit it or play it for the first time i'm actually almost as excited or if not more excited to have that conversation yeah. than our actual top 10 that'd be at the that'd be at the end there um i guess i'll just kind of call out these other ones that were just like they were great experiences um but too shitty to be on a top 10. Well, really in shitty. That I maybe probably spent anywhere <laughs> from like five to 10 hours tops with them. Or maybe they were a sort of game where it's like, it's a repetitive game that I just fell off with. I'm going to call it animal crossing new horizons mm. because it was kind of the time and place of it too, where mm. like COVID just hit and we needed that sort of like positive game. And to see like that blow up in a way that like, we always make fun of Animal Crossing, right? It's the girlfriend <laughs> game. Oh, you know? oh, ew, it's, it's, don't say it's that. It's that game. Oh, but no. Like, it we're, became we're, we're capital G gamers now. A cultural phenomenon to see, like, oh, you know, know, people like Brie Larson, like, talk about how she's a gamer and how much she loves it. Or to see people like Gary Whitta host a talk show with A it. whole talk show that like, blew up out of nowhere. Fucking Animal Talking really cool. was so cool. And I've seen some of the coolest interviews, like, from that yeah. show, like, where he interviewed um shannon woodard and Corey barlog and like he had t-pain on an episode so like <laughs> it's just the format of animal crossing not just as a game not just as a vacation away from like our real life stresses was really cool and to see everybody have their own fun with it was awesome i fell off with it because i don't stick too hard with games like that yep. where i have to come back to it every day and do the same kind of minutiae of things mm-hmm. um but i really loved it for what it was and it's it's cool to see it still resonating with people and how they're still supporting it yeah i agree i i like that it makes people happy it is not a game suited for kevin yeah right like i need something that i can grind away in and that game's like log off for today yeah go outside i'm like fuck you nintendo <laughs> or use a time hack and you know time jump <laughs> <laughs> exactly watch all of your plants die because of your time travel ways but i, I like seeing that game come out because mm. it came out the same time as doom eternal so there was the fun crossover too where like you know isabel was wearing like a doom guy helmet and like there was just like i don't know fun little crossover stuff with that and then the last kind of two that i'm gonna shout out on here i still need to go back to it it's a similar sim type game but thunder lotus's spirit fair Oh, fucking yeah. love it the hand-drawn animations art style like it's just a beautiful evolution from like what their mm-hmm. previous games have done and i i really enjoyed just kind of what it was um but again it's one of those sort of sim management games where it's like i don't always want to fish i don't always want to garden but there was a really kind of personal story about loss and um remembrance and moving on that that game had a through line with that i 
really appreciated. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of people slept on it, but I, I never lost. Yeah. I'm a winner. That's a good one. And then we're big Thunder Lotus fans, by the way. Shout out to big Thunder Lotus fans. Yeah. Thundered is amazing. Thundered is it. so good. Yeah. And we never went back to it when they uh, had the multiplayer mode. No, we we <laughs> our last memories were like the further you got in the game, the little glitchier it got towards yeah. the end, which was kind of upsetting. But it, yeah, we should. Go yeah, back to that we game. played it. When was that? Summer of 2017, where it just released and it wasn't optimized. Yeah. So I hope people have come back to it. I would love to see that be free on PlayStation Plus one yeah. one month, but you know that's not my decision to make. But Mark, if it you're listening, be. it could be our decision to make. And last one I'm going to shout out here before we roll into it is Persona Five Royal. How many fucking games? Okay, <laughs> yeah, Persona Five Royal. Gotcha. gotcha. I, I really really enjoyed that. Um, it's just an odyssey of a game to, to have to get into. I hear it's leagues better than Persona Five proper. Like, just above, like, what that game did, which mm. makes me super fascinated. Because I had a good time with Persona 5. I just think um, a thousand-hour RPG is not always, like, suited for me unless I'm yeah. playing as Yakuza. <laughs> yeah. so, which we'll get yeah. into. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Okay, so I got a, I got a bottom five here. I'm going to just run through their names. We're not going to, like, deep dive them too hard. But okay. we, we will talk about why why they're, like... Is that how we want to do it? You'll yeah. run through your bottom five, I'll run through mine, and then we'll alternate top five? Yeah, like, well, we should, like, just issue what our bottom fives are and then kind of like talk about like why that is okay. right okay so my first uh number 10 for kevin is marvel's avengers mm. oh yeah that's also my bottom 10 probably the all 10 are, <laughs> are marvel's avengers uh yeah so this is probably the only list in existence that it will end up on i will be surprised if other people were like oh it's on mine greg miller right? i could see it being on greg Miller's okay list. yeah yeah, yeah. It'll be or friends list. gotcha <laughs> uh number nine for me was streets of streets of rage four mm. uh fantastic beat em up by the way guys fantastic beat em up my number eight on here i actually have a lot of words for this one but we'll get into it in a second because i think you have it also placed in your bottom mm-hmm. is resident evil 3 remake mm-hmm. oh how the mighty hath fallen last year my number one was re2 that was our collective game of the year what you do doggy dog <laughs> number seven and i i know this is upsetting for people to see it so low mm-hmm. hades hades is fantastic my number six is an amazing title that gave me a lot of joy and pain and frustration at the end of this year. Demon's Souls Remake. So that's oh. my bottom five. Interesting. Yep, interesting. Yep, yep, that's yep. a strong bottom five. It's a, <laughs> I'm a strong bottom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Where do you see my top? <laughs> I, I'm seeing that top. And it says OK Gamer. Oh, I'm wearing my OK Gamer shirt? Yeah. yeah. It's a good shirt. It is a good shirt. I made it myself. Nice. Um, no, you can get it from, um, what are they called? Uppercut Crit. Oh, is that one of theirs? Yeah. It's one Good of their stuff. designs. Check them out. Yeah. So do you want to talk through your bottom five or do you want me to list off? I want, to, I want to hear yours and okay. then let's do like a little, like, let's just do a big convo. Okay. My number 10. Yeah. Like yours is Marvel's Avengers. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, for all of its blemishes and broken uh, games of service systems, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that game. I, I think like- the story is amazing and the, the combat is just... The reason why I could play it so often and mindlessly is because the combat and leveling system is pretty good. Yeah. But we'll get into it. But we'll get into it in a second. Yeah. Uh, my number nine is Streets of Rage 4. Uh, Weird. It's the same list. I love Are you me- reading my list? I think so. Wait, is this the Kevin doc? <laughs> it might be. I, I love a beat-em-up and Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3 were the games that made me the sort of gamer that I am now where I love beat-em-ups. Um, they right. informed my love for, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the world and River City Girls. And I think this is just a, it's a good return to the series. I would be interested to see them continue on with it. 
Um, 26 year gap, by the way, between three and four. It's insane. Fucking, it's fucking crazy. And and they pick it up like a direct, it's a direct sequel to three. Yeah. So it's really yeah. interesting to see like some character arcs and con- uh, uh, continuations happen that yeah, you, I just wasn't expecting. You play as like one of the kids of the main characters yeah. from the first three. It's, it's fucking great. It's, it's really great. good. We'll get into it. My, my thing is though, if, if River City Girls had come out this year, it would have knocked Streets of Rage 4 off the list for yeah, me. Yeah, it's so funny. Not for me. Yeah. I really enjoy Streets of Rage. I think it it's mechanically a much better game mm. than River City Girls, because I find really, River City Girls really sluggish with its controls, uh-huh. probably because it's based on an NES uh, mm. title, <laughs> essentially. But I do agree, like, it's, it's more dynamic in that you can go around, like, a world, mm-hmm. essentially, instead of it being, like, really set arcade levels, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. My next one on here that did not make it on your list we had i think this is seven this is number eight i think the we had two outliers on our list that were different yours was uh demon souls uh mine was doom eternal and that's my number eight eternal okay Uh, rip and tear man that was that was a good time for me i'll rip and tear in a second (laughs) i will i'll get into it um my number seven was resident evil 3 remake oh it's upper huh my number six is hades you put it above me Mm -hmm. and i'm the capcom captain i actually i had slept on that because doom eternal was higher and then i woke up this morning and i was like you know what (laughs) for for all my complaints about three remake i actually really enjoyed that game and i just i expected more of it is kind of thing or i not expected more i wanted more from it everyone did so those are my bottom five is it you you ended on like seven not six Hades was my number six. Oh, did you say Hades? Yeah. Okay, Hades there you go. is my I'm number six. Honest. I'm keeping there you honest here. Okay, okay, let's talk about this. So, so let's start with Marvel's Avengers. Sure. <laughs> so why does it rank for me? For me, I think it really, really nails, out of all of its pratfalls, out of all of its problems, it mm. really nails being an Avenger and being a part of a team. Mm. The co-op is really good. It is, by all regards, a really sophisticated version of a beat 'em up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a brawler, old uh, 3D brawlers, kind of like um, Fighting Force back in the day and okay. such. But, you know, the the combat actually gets deeper as you go along. At mm. the surface, it seems like it's just like, I punch and I kick, I got a light move and a hard move. But mm. there's this stat system that's wild when you get into it, where it's like, I can actually modify my character to play how I want. Mm-hmm. If I'm attacking an enemy... I can have it where they drop um, a health orb every time they I do a takedown or modify that to be like, oh, give me more of my, what is it called? Intrinsic energy mm-hmm. that lets you do like harder charger, moves and like stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Like you customize your character how you want. And that's across like playing as Cap, Black mm-hmm. Widow, Iron Man. Oh, and the flight controls aren't that bad either for a game that like isn't totally designed for flight, mm-hmm. right? Like I actually think it like, oh, you pulled this off nicely for me it depends on who i'm playing as i think mm. thor flies better than iron man does yes because <laughs> he's he's more much more forward thrust than yeah. anything because he's getting pulled by by a ship but yeah i i i know all of the issues of the game one is that so you have this really marvelous excuse upon uh story campaign mm-hmm. that's actually oddly touching and really fleshed out mm-hmm. And then when you're done with that, you're expected to go onto this multiplayer loot where you're grinding for gear and playing with friends and taking on missions. And that ends up being the boring part, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be the rest of the game the from now on. Okay. Yeah, because it's a games as a service title. So it's like, dude, it's really fucking boring just walking around like empty, empty fucking, uh, what, what was it? The PNW? Mm-hmm. You're just walking around the same PNW level. At or like, like Utah, <laughs> Utah. Or like the Antarctic. Nothing that screams Marvel, by the way. And fighting the same goddamn robots mm-hmm. and the same 
bosses over and over again. Mm-hmm. That that's the shit where if they fix that, actually inject good content and give us like good story campaigns like they did with Kate Bishop very recently, mm-hmm. I think that game could turn around. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it ranks for you? Um, it ranks for me actually for very similar reasons. Um, I'll start with the story because on the onset this was a game that i had zero interest in and then kind of hearing how touching and actually like on the level of insomniac spider-man that the the main campaign was i was like okay i'm intrigued and i love the kind of focus of it through kamala's eyes Mm -hmm. and how it's basically her just kind of reuniting the avengers and you get these very kind of touchstone moments with all of them as you're bringing them back into the fold that feel very big very larger than life and it feels like you're a part of the crew like the mo- the moments where you're recruiting bruce banner the moment where you're recruiting fucking tony who's basically like you know thrown away as our iron man suit and like those initial missions you do with them are, are really cool and unique and they all kind of build to this this really crazy climax and i i really appreciated the kind of the telling of the story now on the flip side i don't really love a lot of the games of service stuff i feel like the kind of microtransaction-y gear cosmetic systems they kind of fall on death ears for me because they're not really well implemented Mm -hmm. they're just there to be there i felt like it was a very split brain operation where i feel like they could have cleanly integrated some of that stuff in better but they just kind of got it in there in ways that felt just by the numbers Mm -hmm. but outside of that like i do enjoy you know loving my characters i like that there aren't just like there's not just one skill tree it's like three pages of three different skill trees for <laughs> yeah. all of your characters and like you said you can make them as unique as you want to granted i don't love playing as all characters for like extended amounts of time i definitely have like my favorite ones like i definitely like playing as cap or thor but when i'm playing as those characters i feel like them and that was something that on the onset that i was nervous about and they did a good job at making me feel like each of the avengers um, in really special ways and i i have hope for it it sucks that i'm like kind of in for this two-year ride with the game it really could have used more time to bake mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have come out when it did mm-hmm. um but i'm hopeful for it because coming off of the mcu and having so much marvel love i want to see a game do something similar I want to see like the MCU's version of a Marvel cinematic gaming universe. Right. And I want to see this be that, you know? Uh, yeah, I want to see it grow for sure. I just, I'm so afraid that Square Enix is going to just drop it like a dirty shoe because mm-hmm. the player count's not there and they didn't even recoup their costs at launch. So mm-hmm. that's, that, from a business standpoint, that's like, let's sunlight let, or let's uh, sunset. sunset this yeah. game. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm so afraid we're going to get to the end of 2021 and it's just going to very quietly die. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy because they have all these big plans like adding Black Panther. Mm-hmm. into the game and spider-man we don't even know what spider-man's gonna be like in that in that game mm-hmm. that was like a big deal that pissed people off because yeah. it's a playstation exclusive uh we'll see i i just have we've seen this before and like even though bioware was like talking about like trying to do an anthem next situation mm-hmm. that went real dark mm-hmm. right i feel like marvel can go real dark too yeah very easily which is sad <laughs> We'll, we'll see what happens. Like, is it going to be an Anthem situation, a Fallout 76 situation? Or is it going to have these kind of, like, you know, Rising Phoenix stories? Like, you know, No Man's Sky did or Destiny 2, you know? I would love to see this game become something over time. Um, I hate that I even have to say that in a sentence. Like, yeah. I wanted it to be what it needed I, to be I want it to be launch. great at launch and build off of that, not bare bones at launch. Yeah. And then we have to wait. <laughs> but, like, when it gets there, I want it to be something that, like, 
I get back into, and it brings new players on because it's going to be like the skeleton crew of players that are just like coming back in for updates. Or <laughs> it'll be me, you, and Nick playing yeah. that game, <laughs> and like I'll have fun with it. But like it, a lot of it needs to change, like very, very hardcore. And yeah. To your point, like you said, if some of it wasn't as bland as it was, I think I could probably commit to it for for more. The fact that I'm fighting like nothing synthoids and enemies that I don't really care, Taskmaster, that, that aren't special. It's just like this doesn't feel like the Marvel game that it could have been. Um, I got a question for you, Hotshot. Hmm. Do you think you could take on Taskmaster, Taskmaster, or Taskmaster? <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget Abomination, Abomination, or Abomination. Oh shit, dude! Uh, I got. Let me talk to you. So we both have Streets of Rage at number nine, yes. right? Fantastic. Yeah, such a great game. I, I have. I don't even have that much to say beyond the fact that I just it feels so mm-hmm. smooth. Um, it isn't one, it isn't like an exact replication of the combat in the original because you can actually like do these combo stuns Mm -hmm. and locks and shit. And if you're playing co-op, you guys could like juggle, like we were juggling enemies Mm -hmm. just going like, Hey, what's up? (laughs) Like, it's so fun. Which you can do in the originals, but I think it's just like the succession of your Mm -hmm. attacks makes it feel cooler. You know what it is? Um, each main character you play as has no less than 1,000 frames of animation mm. that they coded into it. That's why it's so smooth. It is an overabundance mm-hmm. of animations that you can manipulate and cancel and shit. It's so good. No wonder the game took forever to fucking come out, right? Yeah. Like, we, we played it at PAX, and then it took, like, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was initially like, announced in, like, 2018. Yeah, so it makes sense for mm-hmm. for what they did. And it's got so many unlockables. Mm-hmm. You can play so many characters. You can play as the classic Streets of Rage characters yep. uh, with sprite animations and shit. Mm-hmm. What a good game! I love. It's a good beat 'em up. As somebody who, like I said, was steeped in beat 'em ups growing up, like I'm forged. For I was forged in the bare knuckle brawls. <laughs> I'm I'm really really happy with the the work that uh, Dotamu and I think Lizard Cube lizard cube games did on this one like mm. it really is a love letter to the the series seeing the continuation of some of these character arcs seeing the new cast of characters and villains like you had i think his name might have been mr x who is like the syndicate overlord it was, and his children are the the, the, y, the twins. y twins and yeah. i thought that was cool to have them in it um and i just i really enjoyed it like there is so much replay value on it and i really loved uh the the special attacks too um, yeah 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 where it's like oh if you felt like you were in a pinch you hit triangle it takes some of your health away but you do this like op attack it's worth it so good so worth good it, there's a, a little easter egg area where you're like in an arcade and you fall into an older level for a little bit like it's kind of like jungle vine area and i was like oh man this is this is good you can tell this game was made by people who love the original yeah um and i also love that they got they had a new composer for it, but they also got the two original composers in yeah. on it as well. So mm-hmm. it's like an interesting marriage of like new music styles and older ones. Some people kind of derided the game for its choice of music. I don't but know just, why. Like, it was good. Yeah, it works. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Maybe you had to be like an adult in 1991 <laughs> to feel differently about that, I guess. But yeah, no, I, I thought the music was really good. Mm. Um, and when it comes to like they approached Sega about making this game, mm. they approached Sega. They're like, yo, we can do this for you. And I'm, I'm so glad. I want to see more of that, right? Mm. I want to see like indie devs that are fans of an original game, like approach a studio and be like, we'll make it. There's got to be a team of brilliant people, including me as a writer. Mm. That are gonna go to Capcom and be like, "Dino Crisis is happening because <laughs> us." Okay, we're gonna fucking do it. All right, I'm gonna make it happen, dude. I want you to. I will. <laughs> That'll be my my legacy, my destiny, and no one will buy it. <laughs> manifest your destiny, manifest your truth, brother. 
Sure. <laughs> that sounds like uh, Tony Robbins stuff, but all right. <laughs> um, so we, we mixed a little bit. I actually want to talk to you about a game that's on my list that you have on yours. Doom Eternal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me. Why? Why? Daniel, why did you do this to me? The the successor to 2016's Doom 2016. He says successor <laughs> loosely. I so I know not a lot of people love this game. I know is as, that true? I as, feel like I'm I'm in the minority. As the months there. stretched on, people kind of forgot about it too. Yeah, where it's like it came out kind of it came out in the beginning of like the release deluge. Yeah. Like this was like the first big game of the year. So my thing with Doom 2016 was like I enjoyed the kind of reboot feel of it it's kind of new dna that kind of is similar to what wolfenstein is doing the first person kind of high octane gameplay and combat really worked in that game and i feel like a lot of what works about this better for me is how it kind of evolves some of its systems Hmm. um i actually kind of really liked a lot of the leveling for for doom guy itself like the praetor tokens for the suit or the weapon upgrades i was actually a big fan of sort of like the balletic nature of like using the chainsaw to like get my health or like use the flamethrower to like you know regenerate armor and kind of having to like really in a fast-paced nature manage my resources and turn the tide of battles i thought it was really really cool and i i struggled to get through 2016's doom for whatever so reason weird. like i thought the gameplay was phenomenal i just think something about the story really didn't resonate with me yeah. and then on the flip side like there is more story here that I feel like some people didn't care for, mm. but I like the backstory of like the Doom guy going to like places like Sentinel Prime, seeing like this this gladiator arena where like other Doom guys have fought was like really cool, and getting like kind of this like whole like lineage and story of like how he came to be was was really neat. And you fucking you blow a hole through the moon like it's really neat like that game's that got did some happen. really excellent moments that did happen um you get this hq situation too like in the game that wasn't in the first yeah it's like i'm gonna go to the doom ship and yeah. you can play doom too on your little yeah little you have like a little PC. doom bedroom where your collectibles yeah. go like you I'm collect like music and you shit. collect yeah metal records and little like figurines that like show right. up on your fucking bookcase and i don't know like it's just it was a frenetic, frustrating game at times, sure. um, just because like some of the boss encounters kind of sucked. Um, I think like the second to last boss fight is very poorly designed. Atrocious. But I think the way they kind of scale the enemies over time, they introduce like these. The first things you fight, you're like, oh my god, these are so hard. And then by the time you get to the second or third area, you're plowing through like crowds of them like it's nothing you know with your bfg or your fucking like sniper and it just it feels cool it feels like you're just super strong um and then when you do get to these newer encounters it almost feels like you're having to retool your play style to really figure out how to conquer it like when i went against like the doom slayers um i thought those fights were really really cool now i could see why it didn't resonate with people my comment of you know oh it was my favorite fps of the year and everybody's like well not many fps's came out this year and i'm like so what <laughs> it was like, one of two <laughs> like I, st- I still thought it did a lot of like yeah. it's it's systems and, and gameplay concedes really really well i would like to see them continue this kind of reboot franchise of doom because i feel like it's doing something for me that the originals didn't you know mm-hmm. um, sure. but yeah i i enjoyed it i think the the soundtrack slaps and it's only kind of knocked down a peg by the fact that Hades came out and did the same thing and better with yeah. the soundtracking. It did a better doom. Yeah. But I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, it was actually initially in my top five, but then it got like, it slid down a bit. I feel you. 
Now, why don't you like Doom Eternal? You know, it, it comes down to the root of I really enjoy simplicity. I think simplicity mm-hmm. goes a long way. I mean, I look at games like Tetris, super simple idea when you get down to it, but it's sure. it like it grows because it's just it goes down to just pure skill. The player and skill mm-hmm. is like the only like friction in that game, right? Sure. Doom 2016 was beautiful because it was simple in a lot of ways. Okay. It what you're talking about, like having to like you know use um the chainsaw to kind of like thread together like your attacks and stuff. Mm-hmm. They already figured that out mm-hmm. with the um, contextual melee attacks in yeah. the first game. You would get like extra drops from that and mm-hmm. you would kind of speed through. And it was almost like the manual is to Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. And then they decided in Doom Eternal, we're going to turn your chainsaw, which was like more of a, um, a limited awesome resource mm-hmm. to basically a combo uh, threader and i was like "Ooh, i don't know about that mm-hmm. and there's more of this kind of focus on like you ended up using every weapon in your wheelhouse instead of saying i'm really good at the shotgun i want to focus on that kind of thing whereas 2016 actually lets you do that this one was like oh no you're out of ammo with that gun fucking you need to kill like five more things to even get ammo for yeah. that gun again and i just found that really frustrating i look back i'm probably one of the few people on this earth that thinks that left for dead one is better than part two mm-hmm. because it, in my mind, they overcomplicated it with like, here's 15 more guns, mm-hmm. and here's laser sights, and here's these other additions, sure. and here's it. And I was like, no, 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 no. There was something beautiful about the simplicity of there's only four fucking guns mm-hmm. in Left 4 Dead One, and the only like the only breaker between you as a player and uh, beating the game was skill, <laughs> right? That's sure. what that's what 2016 was to me. So that's why I was just like, eh. Like on paper, I should like everything about Doom Eternal, including the fact that they evolved this story of the Doom guy something more, mm-hmm. you know. But there's something very. Um, I like the constraint of them just hinting at it. Mm-hmm. In Doom 1, where you're just like, who the fuck is Doom Guy? Mm -hmm. What the hell? He sounds like he's been around for a thousand years, or maybe not. Mm -hmm. I like that mystique. And then when they explain it in Doom Eternal, I was like, oh, okay, Mm. yeah, he was trained by angels? What? (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) You know? I want to see that story grow, Mm -hmm. and there is DLC that we both haven't played. Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll flip my tune. Like, Mm -hmm. I eventually do want to get that. Sure. But yeah, that that was about it. Like, I just, like, really was in love with Doom 2016, Mm -hmm. and Doom Eternal, I think, is a good to great game even Mm -hmm. it just like it misses kevin by Mm -hmm. like like a mile stretch basically for those reasons that's fair and i I could see like those very reasons the overcomplication of certain systems throwing people off i liked having to get better with every weapon not just relying on one thing or my contextual kills um and being sort of a master of everything the things that like work for me in that game shine and i do really like that you're not constricted just fucking red ass mars all the time like you go to so many different planets yeah that, that was and cool. locales you go to earth and it's fucking hell on earth and that's such a cool way to open the and game there's <laughs> such a big escalation with the story that i like that like yeah. earth is under siege because like there's been a few dooms that have tried the earth thing and fucking failed and it really works yeah um i think the stuff that just doesn't work for me is the stuff that probably doesn't work for a lot of people some of the platforming gets a little tedious, it's really um, tedious the actually. introduction of the grappling hook is amazing and you know, combat situations and they use it in the platforming. But again, the platforming is overdone. Also, why, why do I have to swim in this game? Why is there ever a situation where Doom guy swims, you know? So Mm. it's, they they tried to do a lot of different things with it. I think for me, like in the majority it works, but there are a few things that kind of fall short that other games have done better. And that's kind of why it slipped into my bottom five. I feel that bottom part of my top 10 rather than my top five. So yeah, that's, that's kind of like the theme of my bottom five, which is like, these are games that, 
hell, even some of the games I've played hours of in my bottom five, it's just that for one reason or another, something kind of like makes it slip down as far as my adoration of it Mm -hmm. goes, right? Uh, Another title like that is Resident Evil 3 Mm. Remake. I platinum that. We both Same. platinum that game. We did the speed runs, doggy dog. My best time was an hour one, son. We had people who had <laughs> never done that with a Resident Evil game do it. Like our, our buddy Dave, yeah. Dave fucking platinumed it. He's like, oh yeah, I love the speed runs in this game. <laughs> right, but the game is also like, like an honestly that short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's stupid short. Even if you're not trying, you can beat that game in five hours, which is super disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think shorter horror experiences are good, mm. but Resident Evil doesn't like the remake only gives you a couple of reasons sure. to like replay it if we weren't going after the platinums people wouldn't really have a reason to see mm-hmm. what else there was because there isn't that much mm-hmm. um so that's why it's kind of disappointing now one other aspect to that is that the original resident evil 3 was intended as a spin-off mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to be like here's a sequel it's just that they had a contractual obligation with playstation to put the number three on a yeah. title right <laughs> so that's why it ends up feeling like oh kind of recycled assets and it's a little bit of a smaller game in scope and it, mm-hmm. but it's faster it's got more action yeah and it's kind of sad that like we took 20 years and decided to revisit part three and all we decided to do with it was basically that same thing again yep. <laughs> instead of saying hey let's actually give this a full fucking shot and do a big version of resident evil 3 mm-hmm. instead we did the opposite we actually took out areas and enemies and encounters from the original game and ends up being like yeah, shorter but and added something nobody wanted which was that the the multiplayer mode oh fucking resistance yeah oh my god which i feel like had they not split the effort there and maybe focus on just making a fuller single player experience mm. we would be singing the praise of it like it was resident evil 2 remake you would fucking hate to know the actual development that went into this game three internal teams worked on the oh main campaign and a fourth team in complete isolation worked on resistance oh wow so it's just like wow. oh my god how and it took three years to develop this game and we ended up with a four-hour game. It's crazy. It's crazy. But let's talk about the good. <laughs> the good of the game is the Nemesis encounters are awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, they got Nemesis right for the most part. Mm-hmm. The only change that I really dislike is that in Resident Evil 2 Remake, we were given this awesome uh, Mr. X that pursued you mm-hmm. randomly through the RPD. And it was harrowing. It was like, I got to solve puzzles like any Resident Evil. But, oh my god, I hear footsteps up above. He's mm-hmm. coming for me. all the uh encounters that you have with nemesis in part three are scripted yeah which is super disappointing it takes the wind out of it and you're just like okay i'm just gonna run down this hallway and do a dodge and then i'm out of it and then i'm good yeah and i i really love the persistent nature of mr x and two where it's like i am fucking solving a puzzle and then i have to get out of there by the skin of my fucking teeth because he's chasing me he's gonna clothesline me (laughs) and like those moments were so cool and I had never quite seen anything like that in a game. And I feel like they could have, they really could have done the same thing with this one. Because right. the original Resident Evil 3 Nemesis had that sort of persistent threat. Totally random? Yeah. And he would chase you throughout levels, like, no matter what you were doing. It, you felt totally unsafe in that game. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's like, you know exactly mm-hmm. where he's going to pop yeah. up. Yeah. Now, that aside, like, the scripted, like, cutscenes and escalations and different phases of Nemesis are amazing to see him like degrade and transform and mutate over time it's like this fucking colossal bio mutant so good like the last fight in that game is 
incredible it's, it's a marvel it's, yeah it's a fucking bloodborne boss <laughs> like in yeah. the future it's crazy looking. yeah that that ends with you fucking inserting a rail gun into its mouth yeah and awesome that's preceded by three other fights that are also very cool <laughs> yeah there's really good set pieces yeah. in this game it's like it misses the mark especially in comparison especially having such a close comparison in mm-hmm. re2 that just came out last year right mm-hmm. it, it's just like uh but overall like i enjoyed the shit out of it here's one thing it actually does the combat better than RE2. I think so, too. There's a lot of uh, bullet sponge enemies mm. in RE2 because they were trying to translate what the original did, right? Mm. And they're like, how do we make this hard without people getting fucking headshots with mm. our awesome over-the-shoulder uh, sure. controls, which is making them bullet sponges? This game says, how about enemies are more reactive to your weapon shots, but there's fucking more of them, <laughs> which ends up being a little more interesting. And you have cooler stuff in the environment, like here's a flame barrel, or here's an yeah. electricity barrel like that can fuck them up in the field, or the sort of um, quick-timey like, dodge mechanic. The dodge is so cool, actually, yeah. because... it's a risk versus reward if you fail if you flub the dodge you're gonna get mr uh sorry nemesis tentacle like right in your fucking face Mm. right uh that sounds sexy (laughs) (laughs) otherwise if you get it right you're rewarded with like a perfect dodge Mm -hmm. where you do this crazy roll do a slow motion bringing up your gun to get a nice headshot it's beautiful and you can't master the final fight on inferno mode without (laughs) knowing how to perfect dodge you need to perfectly dodge it's there's a lot of good in that game it it does get a lot right like i think the characterization of jill is amazing actually i think i prefer her characterization more than claire and leon combined Mm -hmm. like i think they did a really great job with that carlos is kind of like a whatever character same with the rest of the cast um, uh, Mikhail, Nikolai, <laughs> you don't remember the UBCS? <laughs> <laughs> they're all right. They're all right. But like, I think they just did Jill really well. And it makes me pine and hope for more installments with that version of Jill. Like, I hope right. there's a con- continuity that branches off this three remake into like another set, maybe timeline or new entry. I it's just like, go fucking crazy with part four. Go crazy. With Throw it. Ashley out of it. Yeah. And, and just have Jill. like Jill, Jill show up or Leon something. Would be so cool. Do something way better. Yeah. I but I think like. The environments, even though they are kind of in short stock, are pretty good. Yeah. Um, going, Hive 2. Yeah. Hive 2 is really great. The sewers are really good. The creatures and monsters you encounter along the way, getting the Pale Boys from like the Resident yeah. Evil 2 remake, like uh, free expansion content was really cool. The Gamma Monsters, like, so cool. Right. They, <laughs> they finally perfected that balance of action horror that mm-hmm. they've been trying to do with the series yeah. for like decades and they put it in a game that's like super short and Mm -hmm. people are already going to slam dance on because it's not a one-to-one remake of Mm -hmm. the original which is always a problem with these remakes and it's got cut content it's got cut cut, 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 cut. (laughs) it's like yeah sure man how good was the clock tower anyway it was like fucking (laughs) four minutes of like it still ended with a boss fight that is in the game anyway Mm -hmm. but whatever whatever so resident Evil 3 i loved it good stuff lower i actually i really love the part two where you go back to the uh, RPD? RPD. That that scene's really it's great. It's a good one. Well, that segment is really great, as Carlos. No, so I love it, it. It's got some shining moments, and in any other year, I think it would have landed in my top three, but it just, it yeah. couldn't. It's a different kind of year, yeah. especially with games like Hades. Oh, oh Hades. my goodness, Hades is good. <gasps> I, You know what's funny? It's a game on my top ten that I haven't technically beaten, even though hey, actually. I have put, like, probably 25 straight hours into that fucking game. Like, I, I, it is... First of all, it's my Switch game of the year. It is my favorite game to come out for the Switch this year. Yeah, I mean, I've only played a, a handful. Hmm. And then there were two Same. games <laughs> that I really wanted to play that I didn't, which one of them is like the Super Mario 3D Collection, 3D All-Stars. 
Right. We always talk about streaming, and then we never yeah. streamed it. Which I guess you can only get that game for another three months. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and Clock then is ticking. Hyrule Warriors uh, Age of Calamity was one that I really yeah. wanted to play. But Hades, yeah, Switch Game of the Year. Um, it's fascinating to see like the conversation around it and mm-hmm. all these people who i didn't think would be into it like just loving it really because it has a little bit of something for everyone i mean yeah. at its core it's like it's a roguelike dungeon crawler basically mm-hmm. but it, it just does everything right the combat's lightning paced mm-hmm. you have a variety of weapons that you choose from and you have to commit to one before every run that you do which mm-hmm. is a really cool idea actually and then it is the integration of storytelling with the gameplay loop that mm. makes this game so brilliant yeah like, like the death loop and right. how it weaves into the greek story of you know the river of sticks and immortality right it's like so they, cool like you are told <laughs> like everyone references the fact that you die a lot that yeah. you're dying constantly right <laughs> rather than it being dark souls where people kind of like wink and nod yeah. like they know that you're dying this one's like oh yeah did you fail again yeah. and then like you have a character that straight up tells you what killed you <laughs> which is so cool uh what's that's sleep right or dream or what's his name oh i don't know actually there's a lot of characters in that game there's that so many the names of. yeah i'm not i'm not too boned up on uh grecian lore mm-hmm. it's greek right yes see that's yeah you, you can trick me you'd be like <laughs> no idiot <laughs> it's, it's not but to that like every time you come back like the characters react to you and you get more story with each run yeah. as well that, that's the brilliant thing about the game is that even when you die you still feel like you're progressing mm-hmm. you're still taking something away whether it be story bits or genuine like unlockables mm-hmm. that make your time your next loop even mm-hmm. easier which is amazing it's like it's a game that always rewards you for playing it even as you fail mm-hmm. and i think that's something that's missing from like souls games that like sure. bucks people off if they felt like they were constantly progressing despite their deaths it like does this trick in your brain where you're like no no no, i still got forward and it's like no you got killed at the same boss <laughs> technically but you were rewarded with a brand new conversation and new insights to the world around you and it was mm-hmm. like yeah awesome <laughs> i want to see more games take on that idea of making sure that there isn't a break between the gameplay loop mm-hmm. and the actual storytelling mm-hmm. that's brilliant to me yeah i feel like a lot of studios struggle with that like okay how do we str- straddle the idea of a very disparate gameplay loop and mechanic mm-hmm. with a story that doesn't match it at all yeah um, every open world game ex- exactly <laughs> fucking fails like at that idea yeah yeah hades um Supergiant is a very, very special studio, and I think this is, like, probably, like, their crowning achievement. I think this game's fucking incredible, and so much of it, like, works just even on the onset, like, between the art design, the story, the cast of characters is, like, really great. Like, encountering these Greek gods that you encounter in different orders, you don't even always catch them on the same runs. No. Uh, They just reward you boons, and they have different reactions to you within the world, um, because it's all... It's a lived-in world. It's not like, you know... Zagreus is like a newer character to have to like introduce yourself to, but everything else there like presupposes that you've been there for a while. And I think it's really cool to see it react to you. And then the thing that hits most for me is, is outside of the gameplay, which is phenomenal is, is the fucking music. Like Darren Corb oh, yeah. smashed the, the soundtracking out of the fucking park for this one. Like it does the doom thing and it does it better. Like the, the kind of like adrenaline pumping of like guitars and percussion as you like explode into like a final boss fight or like as you're kind of just like barely surviving when you have like five health left and this fucking like these guitars are crashing and it's just it's so hype. It's just like some of the most like hype like video gaming moments I've had this year. And I I really do hope more people get to experience it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I, I want them to put it on console as yeah. well. I mean it's on Switch, obviously, mm-hmm. but it would be cool for it to be on PS4 and all the rest. And I wonder how they would do the trophy list on this one. Mm. Uh, like 
feeding into the nature of it's such a recurring like eternal loop you know i guess i mean how did they do it for other games like dead cells um uh i have no idea Mm. i literally didn't look at that trophy list Mm. because this game eliminates dead cells in my mind that's true (laughs) like hades replaces like a bunch of roguelikes in my mind where i'm just like i never have to play those games again yeah this is the best one this is actually the (laughs) only roguelike that i've ever played yeah um i think you played dead cells though right no i never played it did you play cells dead nope (laughs) is that the uh plagiarist version (laughs) wasn't didn't sundered have roguelike elements to it no that was, uh, that was a Metroidvania? Well, it was a Metroidvania, but it had procedurally generated like levels and enemies. That is a roguelike thing to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, But it, but it wasn't a roguelike is the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there 80s, you go. man. So good. And then you had another one in your bottom uh, five that we didn't talk about, which is Demon's Souls. Demon's Souls! Which didn't make the cut for me, even wow. though I put like almost 60 hours into it and I got very close to the platinum. Wow. It just doesn't rank for me. I got very close to the platinum as well. It just mm. got really fucking tedious with the tendency system. But mm. uh, Demon Souls works for me in a lot of different ways. One, I really like what Blue Point did with it, the kind of um, remaking it, but still being adherent to the design of the original game, which some people might like, you know, chastise and be like, well, why the fuck bring it back if you're not going to change anything? And it's like, they, they did change things, but it's one of those more like, it's almost like restorative kind of thing where it's like this game is too fucking old and stuck on a playstation 3 Mm -hmm. let's let's restore it a bit for for like a new generation fans to see where did soul start and why Mm -hmm. and i can see where it started and i could definitely see why it became a genre it's a game that demands you to understand the entire environment not just be reactive but actually plan and memorize everything or i should say memorize and plan Mm -hmm. what your next move is what you're going to do know what where the enemy placements are it's a game that you get you can't help but get intimate with and i love that mm-hmm. and like i feel like stripped down at its barest like away from like the windy loops of dark souls like you know that series or what bloodborne does it's like you could just see like here is the purest form of why this became a genre mm-hmm. and blue point blue points remake only serves to just kind of bring that forward in a nice new way for people to come in and be like oh, there's little quality of life features that don't make me want to die every three seconds. Um, but yeah, I, I really love the fucking remake. Like the way that it works on PlayStation five with the dual sense, never in my life did I think like better rumbles was something that uh-huh. would change my gameplay experience. Yeah. But the fact that you're playing the game and you can feel demonstrable difference between uh, attacking like a wall versus your sword connecting with an enemy or doing a heavy attack and he- having it connect versus a light attack. Yeah. Or even feeling um, like an enemy on a catwalk above you. Mm-hmm. You can feel the thumps in the controller from that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, are you kidding? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it does some cool stuff with the microphone as well. Like the speaker. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> here, or like when you pick up, a, pick up an item, you hear kind of it, like the crystallization of it being collected. Yeah. Like that stuff's really, really neat. These really cool things that kind of like help you immerse yourself in that universe a bit mm-hmm. more. Um, I think I know all the reasons why you despise it. <laughs> well, not despise, but you just like could not get into it. Mm-hmm. Is that it? It retains a lot of archaic design from the original mm-hmm. because Blue Point had made this choice of like, do we try to reconfigure at which could damage the original vision, or we just retain the the? Do we try to be as like um, hands off as possible with the design, but just help out to make it like a little more modern? And that's what they went with, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think it's a brilliant choice, but. I think going forward, Blue Point really needs to figure out, like, are you, as a documentarian, 
<laughs> are you going to film your subject with no intervention? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to do the Werder Herzog way and fucking poke and ask questions and mm-hmm. try to like change and tease out something new from what you're studying, yeah. right? Because these games feel like a case study. <laughs> we see it happening a lot with like studios proper, like Capcom with Square Enix. To much success that they said, hey... The Resident Evil 2 is not sacred ground 20 years after the fact. Yeah. Play the original if you love it so much, right? Like, I, I respect that. And I yeah. think I think maybe you were looking for something a little more like that. Something that didn't feel, like, fucking old. <laughs> no, I don't know <laughs> right? if, like, when they make these games, they're beholden to keep them with the blueprint. Like, they have mm. to stay a certain way, be a certain thing. Maybe they're given constraints. Maybe they're not. Or maybe I think it's a design choice. Maybe through, they're through. purists and they just want to, like, kind of retain them in their, in their purest form. And that, I respect that choice as well. Yeah. I think for me, in this age where we're getting remakes that are really pushing the envelope and making us think about remakes and reboots as well, like as becoming new franchises unto themselves, I wanted to see this do a bit, do different things, like mm-hmm. kind of push the envelope because a lot of it, like, it's just like the skeleton is there and they just put like new polish on top of yes. it. Like it's all still it, the it's same thing. It's a super remaster, yeah. <laughs> right? It's a more, more successful remaster than fucking Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. That was a piece of shit remaster, by the way. Yeah. Now, I mean, for me, like, the, the combat, like, I like it. It works. I mean, it feels kind of, like, just a notch below, like, Dark Souls 3 for me. It's got that mm. same crunch. Um, I just think I didn't really love a lot of the encan- uh, the enemy encounters. I thought, like, of the five worlds uh, that you go to through, like, the Archstones, only, like, two of them really resonated with me. Mm. I thought the bosses were more, like, set-piece marvels than anything of challenge for me, where I'm just like, okay, this is, like, whatever. Like, it's cool to see, like, the agitator stuck in a fucking well with a bird, you know, in its, like, head, but, like, whatever. I'm just whacking at this fucking weak point in its knee, and it didn't feel like a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the DNA of what Soulsborne games are now, and what they were then, obviously, but it's, like, it's the challenge, it is the overcoming, it is the learning enemy patterns and overcoming, and... I feel like I didn't get that same right. sense of accomplishment from this game. Um, and I also thought like working my way through the levels was a bit of a slog, kind of needless slog where it's like your checkpoints are very few and far between mm-hmm. and the levels I'm working through, I hated working through, <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone has a problem with Valley of Defilement. Let me tell you. Yeah. What. But I mean, to, to blue points credit, they made a gorgeous remake. I think like the levels yeah. are amazing to look at. And yeah, like they, they did a good job with it. It's just when I think of like what makes a Soulsborne game for me, you know, when I think of like Bloodborne, when I think of all of Dark Souls 3, when I think of Sekiro, like those games like are just like in a whole nother league for me. Like those are like mm-hmm. S tier. And then like Demon Souls is like, yeah, it's like A, that's like A minus maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but only because it doesn't push the envelope at all. Yeah. And it, well, I mean, of course, because it's a game from 2009 exactly. that preceded literally the rest of it. And, and it's like that, that's literally like if. That's the thing, right? I, I, I really do respect the fact that they decided, like, let's sure. just restore this game instead of try to, like, recombobulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I never got to experience original Demon Souls, so it's nice to, like, yeah. see what it is. Um, I will say, on the on one point, is, like, it has a different design theory versus Souls. Like you're saying, it it didn't understand the love of one-on-one fights. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just didn't... Like, that game doesn't understand that it is fucking exhilarating to master a fight where you're, like here's a big humanoid with a sword mm-hmm. and I need to figure out how to not die. Right. This game does treat its boss fights like the uh, kind of um, set pieces, but there's one thing about how the checkpoints work, which are more, more forgiving in the other ones. Whereas this game kind of leads into the idea of much older design theory, which mm-hmm. is you need to master an entire level. There's no checkpoints. Yeah. Until you get to the end. And like, I kind of respect that because it's like, 
this old school design doesn't exist anymore. Mm. A lot of people point to that as being a big improvement in later games, like mm. Dark Souls 3, which has checkpoints every fucking four minutes. Yeah. Um, whereas I think it's a different challenge. I got a challenge that normally I don't find yeah. in Dark Souls games. It, it reminds me of like older, like Eastern, like early, like NES Sega games. Where yes. It's like you have X amount of lives. You have to make it through the levels. There's right. no checkpoints, no continues go. Right. You know? The and challenge is the try. Yeah. Right. So it ends up feeling um, kind of what roguelikes, what modern roguelikes do, mm-hmm. uh, which is you need to get from A to B yeah. and it's going to be a while strap in. Right. But like that's the difference in theory. I think that's why the boss fights aren't the way that they are mm-hmm. in sequels. Sure. So, but like I love that game. I don't know. I, it just it worked for me on a lot of levels, and I want to see Blue Point do more mm-hmm. of that. <laughs> like I, going forward, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Like the lore is really cool. The the idea of these arch stones, the fact that there's one missing, and then like even the systems that are there. Like okay, cool. Like you are. In your human form, and you have mm. full health, and then when you die, you become, like, what, a phantom, and mm. you have less health, and, you know, you can't be invaded in these states, um, and then the world tendency, like, all that's, like, really interesting stuff on paper, but in action, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know why people love it. It's cool when it's unique, but, like, it's just... There was already so much resistance with the game for me that, like, it just didn't help. It continued to resist against Yeah, me. it continued to that. resist against me, and yeah. to continually be punished because i want to have full health sucked like Mm -hmm. every time i would be like okay cool i died let me use one of these like little stones to like regenerate my full health bar now you get invaded now i have black world (laughs) tendency or now i'm getting invaded and now i'm seeing fucking phantoms everywhere it just was like a brutal punishment i'm like the game's already hard enough as it is but like i get that these are like really cool unique (laughs) systems that fans love and it just I respect it for what it is. They are unique systems. That's the thing, because other games wouldn't fucking dare to do it. And that's why I respect the game. It straight up says, we're not here to make your time easier. Mm. We're here to, like map out our vision is what that game is. And like, I'm I'm glad that they've moved in different directions, obviously. (laughs) But like, yeah, that game is a straight up fuck you in every capacity. It's just like, oh yeah, every time you think you're doing well, Mm -hmm. well, I got something new to show you. (laughs) I I mean, I do love the thing that it does where it's like playing your own like approach the Mega Man style, like any level you could approach first. Because it's like if I'm having trouble getting through like the Valley of Defilement, maybe I can go to Storm Island or maybe I can go to like the Tower of Latria instead. And that was a cool approach. I actually kind of like the Archstone approach more than like, because I was playing Dark Souls 2 and it's like, oh, you start in kind of a hub area and then it's spider webs in different places. Yeah. Sometimes that's a little harder for me because I ended up walking to an area that was like way outside my fucking level, basically, mm-hmm. and just thinking that's what I needed to do. And then I find out, oh, no, 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 it, there's the right way is like behind some fucking rock. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh... That's not as kind as literally a hub area that shows me distinct arch stones. Mm. Like, I was like, oh, I kind of like that better. <laughs> but then again, that, that does take away from the brilliant, like, mapping that they do in Dark Souls 3, for instance, mm-hmm. where the world continues to expand on itself and, like, shortcuts lead to places where you're like, uh, wait a second, yeah. is that the beginning of the area? Yeah. I've been playing for six hours. <laughs> yeah, I love that kind of loop around where it's yeah. like, I get a shortcut 30 hours and that leads me back to, like, a different like arena or the beginning of the game yeah, like that's interesting it's different flavors man but like i can see just talking about it makes you mad <laughs> like you're returning in your brain to this game and going like this fucking game hates me <laughs> no it did not make me returnal <laughs> to my my previous hate i'm it is what it is like yeah. we, we had a whole episode where we talked about it and i think you parts of it, it for i think 15, parts of it 16 minutes yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I have likened for me over time where i'm like okay i like this more other parts where i'm like eh, i still hate it as much as i did the first day but yeah. um yeah, it's it's a good game, but it's a case of like how 
even though a game could be great, not every game is for everyone. Yeah, know? yeah, of course. And that's totally okay. Um, Fucking influential game. Let's though. let's get into our top five. Because we have more stuff we want to talk about. Okay. Um, so we want. You knew this would be a long one. Our game of the year episodes are always long. Yeah, you but at least we're long. talking about. There's the no game hour of the year. and a half like game of the year. <laughs> so, episode, and yeah. I'm I'm okay with it because I like talking video games with you, and you know th- these are always fun. How do you want to do top five? <laughs> Uh, probably round robin, and then our number one is the same, so we could just talk about the number one at the same okay. time. So I don't know if you want to go first or if I want to go first. Uh, go first. Okay, my number five, Demon which... Souls. <laughs> Blue points, Demon Souls. Yeah. Tricked you, bitches. Yeah. I'm the fool's idol after I all. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number five on here is a surprise uh, to me because I have never played really any of the other games in the franchise. Um, it is. Yakuza, Like a Dragon. Yakuza! <laughs> I fucking love Yakuza, Like a Dragon. It's fucking great. And there have been probably three weeks between you talking about it for the first time and, and us doing this episode where, like, you guys haven't even known that I've been playing it. I put about, like, 64 hours into it. I actually just beat it this morning. And even if I hadn't finished it, it still would have been my number five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is the perfect onboarding point for fans who haven't even played any of the other games as a outsider to rgg games like the only other ryugu gotaku game i've played is ryugu is is <laughs> judgment um which i finished this year and judgment's more of like kind of the same as yakuza like that yeah. sort of like brawly open world approach with obviously a way different story outside of the yakuza mm-hmm. uh, time frame and you're a detective and you're a detective a sexy ass detective <laughs> but i think this is like kind of the perfect melding of ideas to Mm. take kind of like the existing idea of like okay you know the yakuza universe and making it a turn-based rpg with different job classes and having a party that you build along the way and grow to love like it it was amazing to see it unfold against this very like high drama yakuza crime story backdrop i love uh kasuga ishigan as a character i think he is very very emotional I love where he comes from, his his background of, you know, kind of being inducted into, like, a Yakuza family, the Arakawa, the Arakawa crime family, um, just because he kind of got adopted to it, and how he kind of fell in love with being a Yakuza just because of that, you know, just because he grew up on the streets and, you know, got inducted by that. And to see his story of loss and betrayal and redemption and wanting to be a hero through all of it like it's touching it's sad um and it's really just kind of engrossing the entire step of the way i was very very shocked to just be as gripped by it as i was and i think a lot of it is is perfectly lended by the fact that it has a very great uh american localization the North American English voice. Cast. I love that you're like American, yeah. the, the, like the, the English, the, the, the English. <laughs> Come on. My boy Nick, he lives in Canada, bro. The, the English like voice acting is, is phenomenal. In it. Like I think they did a really great job with the localization where as like some of these longer scripted set segments or like things where I'm reading text on screen from the older games might've been lost on me, yeah. but because it's characterized in these really great ways and the, and the voice cast is fucking phenomenal. It, it helped the experience for me. Speaking to it as an RPG, it does do some archaic things that I think other games do better. Like, obviously, this is, like, baby's first RPG. Yeah. So some of the stuff, like, it does in terms of, like, making you grind or the parts where, like, oh, I 
I am locked into my job class the entire time I'm playing. I can only go to one place to change up my jobs. Or if my main character dies, game over. Like, I should be able to piggyback off of my other party if Ishaban dies. Right. Stuff like that. Um, but I think, like, the the combat system is is really great. And it still maintains a lot of the sort of, like, tactical beat-em-up feel of it. With having some kind of tactical response. Where it's like, you can do critical hits by doing button prompts. You can, you know, block in the moment to kind of take reduced damage. Doing these perfect stances. And I think, like, that's all done really, really well. And I like that there's kind of a choose-your-own-player-adventure style. Where it's like, I can be a freelancer. I can be a bodyguard. I can be whoever I want for each of these seven characters. And I really like the party as well. Um, I think one of the most important things for an RPG to have is a party that sticks with you that you grow to love and Mm. feels justified being there. And all those characters, like all six of them or seven, if you get the unlockable kind of extra character deserve to be in your party because they all serve the story. Yeah. And I, I felt for all of their arcs, like they do kind of sort of the thing that um, mass effect does where you have like kind of loyalty missions and kind of side branching stuff with them that makes you kind of build your bonds with them. And it raises your stake and investment with these characters. And it it feels like no matter how late they introduce a character, you feel as invested with them as they were if they were introduced at hour one as they were at hour 20. And I think that they did a really great job building all those like narratives um, and having Ishaban kind of interlap with these characters. Really, really phenomenal. And I think some of the, the, the padding in the game... I could have done without, but I think it's actually better than some of the other RGG games in terms of what I heard, in terms of like making you do like all these crazy mini games or all these like different like sim management things. Like mm-hmm. it's there if you want to do it, but it's also there in like lesser amounts, which is really nice. Uh, especially like kind of grinding towards the platinum where like I don't have to 100% this game, which is really nice. You know, I don't want to play a thousand hours of Shoji, you know, or Shogi because I don't <laughs> know how to play Shogi, <laughs> you know. Can't uh, figure out. I think it's like chess or something. Yeah. But I think it's 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 great. And the framing of it through Ishaban's eyes is like being this kind of lover of RPGs is just very well illustrated. The battles where you see it as kind of like in his Dragon Quest goggles of like seeing them in alternate forms is is really unique and cool and it makes it feel like i don't know more of like a bigger than life fantasy adventure and i really appreciate it i wish there were better dungeons i think like having you repeat the same like sewers over and over is kind of bland um but it's like how different are you going to get when you're only bouncing between like three different cities like Mm -hmm. you know every city has what hmm office buildings uh shopping plazas and sewers yeah we can use those as dungeons and like they're using what they have and i get that but i think over time it's like Oh, I wish some of the environments were a little different. Mm -hmm. And I also wish some of the environments didn't get in my way when I was fighting, which is really annoying where it's like you're fighting in the street and your characters get stuck on cars. Like I've had somebody, yeah, get stuck in the middle of a car and and I'm just like for a while. Yeah, I wish like because you're panning me into the combat, move my characters towards the fight. Yeah. You know, don't make me have to walk a thousand feet to punch a dude and then have them walk back and do it over and over. So I think there are systems there that like just need to be fine tuned. And I want to see them continue this format. Like I want to see Ishavon's story continue because it's really special. And I hope people don't sleep on this game because mm-hmm. it just it offers a lot. You know, it's got a lot of style. It's got a lot of substance. There's so much to offer between like, you know, the side quest, the main story, the fun little like mini games you do. Like, you know, whether you're having a business management game where you have a monkey running your stadium or you're playing dragon cart. Like it's just all fun and it's all there, but it 
it definitely feels like at times like it's like a jack of all trades maybe master of some you know Mm -hmm. where it's like i wish it would have a little bit more focus in terms of of its approach but i think also when you're serving a 20-year fandom there's some (laughs) things that you can't leave behind and i feel like if they did it wouldn't work but also some of the stuff that's here feels more at place than i feel like it doesn't the standard yakuza games yeah like having all this extra content makes sense for an rpg having hundreds of hours in a content and a brawler beat up doesn't, doesn't make, sense. make sense yeah but it's 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 a perfect melding and uh i'm i'm glad i played it i'm actually stoked to keep grinding for the platinum it's so. gonna happen yeah i might have what 91 percent. yeah one trophy left you're almost at like a hundred hours yeah yeah there's <laughs> there's so much more i could say about this game i just love it yeah a fucking yakuza like a dragon like i <laughs> i we're gonna talk about it more when you rank it mm-hmm. but you know special game special game so give me your number five number five is the last of us part two whoa part five uh it'll be yeah it's number five for a lot of different reasons i think that my top level reason is that i think it's a phenomenal game i think it's a an achievement in video game artistry to put it very simply Mm -hmm. it's just that if it came out any other year i think it would rank higher for me okay it came out during a year where my focus was split in a lot of different directions. Things were stressing me the fuck out. And this is such a heavy game with such morbid content to mm. want to engage with where like, it just kind of like fell beneath these other games that I wanted to stay in much longer. So that's the only reason I think it's like five. Otherwise it might be fucking two or one even mm-hmm. <laughs> in any other year. But um, what really, really works about this game is that it doesn't, it it's not just part one continued. And I think a lot of fans wanted that as we've heard mm-hmm from the discourse right but it makes a few very seminal choices right up front Mm. um that changes the course of what this story is and i think it's the right thing to do because like here's the question how do you make a sequel to what is a masterpiece Mm. honestly i know that's high praise for the original but fucking it's great Mm. it's really really good and the answer is you don't you make a different game (laughs) yeah and they did make a different game it has a lot of the same dna as the original and sometimes to its um how do you say it's a disbenefit mm-hmm. because like Naughty Dog's design theory is kind of archaic at this point. An insular. Yeah. Where <laughs> it feels like, yeah. Like I think for the one comment you made was like Naughty Dog only seems to improve on what they've done. They don't mm-hmm. even like take an outside like sources to like figure out stuff. Right. Like the crafting mechanic in the game feels very bare bones. Yeah. And, like, why is this a thing? And then the fact that like you have this really heavy story character driven situation mm-hmm. and most of my playtime is looking for fucking papers and bandages and <laughs> <Yeah>. shit <laughs> and half of a scissor. <laughs> like, like, so that shit aside though, uh the character work for ellie and abby amazing absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. stellar fucking performances and surprisingly i think probably the biggest achievement from this game is taking a character that on the offset you're supposed to absolutely despise Mm -hmm. and having this ride with them Mm -hmm. playing as abby for more than half of the game (laughs) growing with her seeing who she is seeing her choices and actually getting a sense of oh wow here's the point of the series People aren't statically good or statically bad. They're mm-hmm. a ball of different emotions and reactions, right? To Abby, she feels justified to do what she did because of what happened to her, mm-hmm. because of her loss, in much the same way that Ellie feels justified on her revenge quest because of her loss. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's trying to tell you, like, very obviously, and tell you a very human story about it just, it's it's pointless or it's worth it. Mm. Either way, both are true. Nothing's wrong, kind of thing. And it comes to this head that I don't think any other narrative 
this year really even touch, which is it challenged the player's worldview. Mm-hmm. It challenged what you thought was right or what wasn't right, right? And that last moment between Ellie and Abby out there on the beach, not to give too much like of a spoil, I guess, like some people haven't played it, mm-hmm. is just one of these more impactful things where it's just like, to have it settle, like I, I'm still digesting my feelings about that narrative. Even like six now. months later, like six months later, just going like I feel so many ways. I wish they said more to each other. I wish they just had a convo. Mm-hmm. But like what they said might have been enough. Like we get it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like I we understand. It, it, the whole idea is that violence begets violence, and an act of mercy can multiply as well. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the whole fucking thing, right? Like you start to see it without even realizing how. How Abby um, deals with um, what was the character's name that that travels with her? The, Lev. Lev. Lev and yeah, Yara. and how that becomes like her priority over time as her normal life just starts to dissolve. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it's so. Ugh, it's such a good human story, but I get why for some people it could be a disappointing follow up to the original because like it doesn't want to carry on with those themes. Mm-hmm. It, the Last of Us Part One could have been perfectly fine without a sequel ever, without even like DLC, like. Yep. On its own, it could have just existed and we would have had to live with it. By its own. Yeah. But I feel like Last of Us Part Two really, really cemented why it exists. <laughs> and it's a complicated, I won't say mess, but it's a complicated story. It's not an easy, clean, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. And mm-hmm. that's what kind of makes it important to have storytelling do something a little more mature than... Uh, here's a gun in hand, blaze down everyone in front of you with sure. the end, right? Like, it's an important story. That and it's one of the better survival horror games out there that we don't give it much credit for. It's mm-hmm. my survival horror game of the year, <laughs> even over RE3. That fucking scene with the Rat King in the in the hospital yep. basement. One of the cool scenes. That's like one of the best fights all of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucked up and weird and crazy and the graphics are like throttling that goddamn ps4 yeah like fucking just going like hey here's a preview of ps5 using current tech is how it looks holy shit and yeah it's just like there's this there's this immediacy and how do you say panic inducing gameplay that like carried over with the original that i think they do a little bit of a better job here mm-hmm. where you're just like oh shit i'm being swarmed mm-hmm. i need to think quick about what my next move is remember remember that one scene where um uh, I forget what militia you're fighting, but like they're out there and they have dogs suddenly show up and start to sniff you out. That is a complication you have not had to deal with yeah. in the first game. When you're playing as Ellie, I think it's actually like the wolf soldiers. Yeah, the wolves. Okay. Yeah. So they bring out dogs and like they could sniff you out. So like your whole like, let me just sneak and like throw arrows in people's heads mm. thing does not work out very well there. You need to figure out how to like bait them, trick them. I was doing things like, first of all, the AI is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I don't think we talk about enough how the ai is like amazing in this game mm-hmm. i was having to bait them into a, like the upstairs room of a house like get the dog like, <laughs> and then like jump out the window as all the soldiers storm that house going like oh she's over here like freaking out uh-huh. and then like go figure out how to like set up a new thing like on the fly and i was like yo this is crazy like the combat's actually really crazy in this game like this is probably one of naughty dog's finest but i feel mm-hmm. like it gets so overshadowed by like the narrative is the only thing anyone people mm-hmm. like can talk about in this game i was like no dude there's some really cool innovations like this ai is fucking nuts y'all see this <laughs> i actually like i just replayed it like two weeks ago because i was getting the platinum and you know, I needed to take some time away from it rather than playing it back to back. And I think, yeah, some of the systems like really, really do hold up. And I I was impressed by all of those encounters, like everyone that happened along the way. I was like, holy shit, this is like really top tier gameplay, mm-hmm. top tier, like 
development mentality and everything. And there's something about the way that um, the Last of Us games are made, and this one especially, that feels like you're in a one of the darker Coen Brother films, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, No Country for Old Men feels like an instant inspiration for this. Mm-hmm. The way that they frame things, the way that even some of the shots are set up, the way that it is isn't afraid of hanging on to moments other games might skip over mm, like uncomfortable moments or super uncomfortable yeah. moments like between characters or just the quiet of walking around Seattle mm-hmm. there's something super eerie about knowing that this place was totally lived in and it's just gone it's mm-hmm. decimated you're just walking through it like an explorer years after the fact unearthing the tomb of Seattle <laughs> it's so odd but brilliant mm-hmm. in a way it's like <laughs> we've seen post-apocalypses in games before but mm-hmm. like there's something about the last of us's world that feels so like it could actually happen like mm-hmm. that's what would go down it, it's creepy right and there's so many good set pieces in that game like set piece after set piece even though like i think it's a little over long we've both talked about that mm-hmm. like i feel like i'm playing as abby for 10 years um <laughs> especially when you get to the ferry I think the fairy is an excellent set piece, yeah. but it's just like, dog. The whole marina where it's like, all right, how many times am I going to go back here and play right. catch with Alice? Like, like Jesus. Jesus Christ, y'all. Like, yeah. can you can you design a little less? That That's my one critique with it where it's like, I feel like Naughty Dog games have just kind of gotten yeah. more bloated and lengthy over time. And Bloater. This would be a perfect game for me yeah. if it maybe trimmed like an hour and a half, two hours. Straight up. Yeah, for sure. But... This also speaks to Naughty Dog's approach. They had a very deliberate story and mm-hmm. way they wanted to tell this story, and I think they achieved it. Yeah, I think the other the other thing to really talk about is um, <laughs> they put two games in one. They the did. Last of Us Part Two and Three are one game. Mm-hmm. Like that. Like honestly, having Ellie and Abby like together. Not that they're you know what they do is any different. I should say, but it's just like the length of their campaigns and how like. The, the switch that happens is one of these like all-time historic things in games that I feel like we should be talking about. It, it feels like an expanded version of what happened with Metal Gear Solid 2, where suddenly mm-hmm. we get to a certain point, and then it's like, wait, who am I? Yeah, I'm rated? I'm what? Playing as who? What's going on? <laughs> it feels like a bigger subversion than that, because it's just like how lengthy and emotional and great it is. The fucking village scene on the horseback when everything's burning. It's so fucking it's one cool. of the best moments in video games this whole fucking generation. And it's just like chaos because you have like <laughs> Seraphites and wolf soldiers fighting each other. God, that it's, game. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the game makes me feel a fucking range of emotions. Yeah. Okay, a range of emotions. And I still have to write about it for my best of list that I'm posting. Heck yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that that that's all I can say about that. Wow. What, what's your next one, Tom? The Last of Us Part 2. What a hell of a game. What a hell of a game. Well, we'll talk about that more in a while. Um, so what my number four? Number four is Ghost of Tsushima. And I'm going to keep this one short yep. um, because I feel like I don't really have anything more mm, important to say about the game than we've already said over episodes. I think... This is very much um, Sucker Punch's next evolution of what they've already been doing with uh, the Infamous games. The Gorilla Games uh, yeah, the, jump, right? Exactly. Yeah. From God, what were those games called? Yeah, nobody cares. Killzone <laughs> doesn't matter. Okay, so yeah, Killzone, Killzone does Horizon. not matter. Seeing Gorilla do that jump and almost kind of forge a new path for the studio. Um, I think they did an excellent job with this game. They made the best Assassin's Creed game I've played in years. <laughs> yep, yep. I don't love open world games but this is an open world game that i just couldn't spend enough time with i loved being in it whether it was the violent moments or the quiet peaceful moments the introspective moments like i just loved how it all kind of weaved throughout the overall narrative of of jin sakai's story i think it's a really special game i think um 
the triple a space is is cluttered with games like this where it's like okay here's another open world game that does the same thing does the kind of over the shoulder batman approach but the things that this game does really really does set it apart from all its others like the the kind of the backdrop of that mongol uh raided japan the characters having Jin be a samurai who now has to change his way of living and fighting and being because of this this threat you know adopting the way of uh the ghost the uh the shinobi if you will and kind of forsaking everything about his lineage is such a powerful story and i love the way they kind of execute it through the three acts that the game's told throughout has a brilliant cast of supporting characters um, that you also do kind of similar loyalty missions to, uh, but they have longer threads about them. Um, whether it's, you know, Lady Yuna, whether it's Masako, whether it's um, Ishikawa, I think his name is. Yeah, those missions are really, really cool. And I think I found myself enjoying some of those more than the overall story, to be honest. Yeah. And the, the gameplay is just, it's phenomenal. Like, I... I, it's not my favorite combat in a game, mind you, and I think that we've had the conversation where it's like some of the the parrying and stance systems I prefer more in like Soulsborne games, but the way it does it is is cool. Like I like the the fact that you have not necessarily like a standard health bar, but like your health is like ma- measured through like resolve meters, and you regenerate health through doing perfect parries or having successful duels, and like it really hinges on you being committed and good at the combat um and i really like that and then just kind of having the different stances like whether you're doing like the moon stance or uh I forget the river stance or whatever the fuck they're called there's four different ones that kind of change how you play against like water stance water stance, water stance stone my favorite stance. stance yeah really really cool and I, I i liked the combat more and more as i, I spent time with it um i think some of the initial encounters are just kind of like yeah whatever but I think the combat really shines to me in the one-on-one duels, um, which I feel like just have some of the coolest set pieces, some of the coolest atmospheres, whether you're fighting like Straw Hats or you're fighting somebody who you had a history with and now you're having a kind of falling out with, um, mm-hmm. or you're fighting like demons, like in, in this kind of like hallucinogenic, like underworld scene, like all those like one-on-one fights are really cool and just so like beautifully done. The open world's, it's full of some of like the most chaotic and beautiful moments. And I really love just kind of playing around with it, whether I was chasing foxes or, you know, finding Shinto shrines or getting naked and hanging out in a hot spring or, you know, not so much the haikus. I thought the haikus were whatever. Um, but I really just kind of, I loved getting on my horse and going from place to place. Cause it was just such a cool, rich world to explore. And even if I did it, you know, fast traveling, like took no time at all. Like just mm-hmm. got kind of going from one spot to the next. Uh, I really enjoyed it and all really elevated through the, the photo mode, which is like the best photo mode of the year for me. Just fucking amazing how dynamic, like some of your photos and framings could be just excellent, excellent choreography for the fights. The music's amazing. And I just, I want to see where this, franchise goes because the way it ends it it definitely is is lending to the idea that like Jin's story is not done being told and i want to see where they take it whether they take it to like you know a different far off city in in japan wherever that might be if he goes to kyoto you know whatever the case may be i want to see it continue and i want to see if he you know reclaims his humanity and reclaims who he was because so much of himself gets lost by the end and a lot of the a lot of the final act is him and the surrounding characters kind of having to deal with that and kind of um, 
come to grips with it and remedy it, but just just really excellent through and through. Yeah, it, it made me love open world games again, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we got more time with it in uh, Ghost of Tsushima Legends, because mm-hmm. that was a multiplayer mode that I wasn't fucking expecting that was so well done. Yeah, and out of I, nowhere. Yeah, I want to go back to it because I hear like the raids are exceptionally well done. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really think I have anything else to kind of say about it that I haven't before. I really like the Kurosawa mode as well, like the black and white sort of old style, like Japanese like movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They like, work with the estate filter. to actually get it right. That's yeah. cool. Really, really, really well cool. done. Like, there's an authenticity to the game that like is. I'm, I'm glad. Like they, because everyone was like, "Can the yes. Bellevue Washington <laughs> yep. Studio make a game about historical Japan?" And the answer is, "Well, yeah, they yeah. got it right. They lo- really worked on it." A lot of us were nervous about it, and I, I had read. Well, I hadn't read. I listened to the kind of funny games cast that they did with Nate Fox, who's a creative director, and they worked really, really closely with like <laughs> Eastern. Fox studios because of the fox and i know <laughs> and and developers and creators to kind of get it right you know not have this be kind of a kind of a, a mishandling of like really important yeah. japanese cultural ideas and events and they landed it like it's it's a it's a 10 out of 10 game yeah i i think <laughs> one of the interesting things is having a lot of japanese developers uh talk about this game and how they like respond mm-hmm. to it like yoshi p talked about it he was mm-hmm. just like it's amazing it's like changed my like he's like i, I i'm really like inspired by it mm-hmm. and so did the uh yakuza producer like talked about it he's mm-hmm. just like it's amazing but he even he said one thing that was very very like i think um uh kind of prescient about well that's not really prescient but interesting about japanese game development which is japan would have never have made this game and I think that's absolutely true. I don't think Japan could ever have made that game because that's a lot of Japanese design doesn't really support that open world design. Like mm-hmm. they don't. That's more of a Western thing. Like yeah. they they've tried, and it always ends up being some sort of like goofy mishmash, like Dragon's Dogma, where it's like this is almost like a good open world game, but it's got some weird stuff in it. Yeah, or we see yeah. different things, like how it was with like um, like Genshin Impact or Breath of the Wild. That was China, actually. Oh, China. Yeah. <laughs> well, with Breath of the yeah. Wild, rather. Right. where you see these ideas where it's like some of them are dated ideas it's new for the franchise at hand but it's it's not new in a western sense, yeah you know? yeah so i think that's like why it's like turning heads like worldwide we're just like whoa what the fuck mm-hmm. what is this game it's a very interesting game for sure mm-hmm. uh i got a number four Go my for number it. four is yakuza like a dragon you pretty much covered a lot of like what i could say about the game mm-hmm. i do agree i think it's a brilliant onboarding point for the series uh, much more than the previous most recommended first Yakuza game, Yakuza 0, which is 17 fucking hours of a slog, and then it gets fun. Like, come on. Stop. We, need to, we need to, like, change this narrative. <laughs> Yakuza 0 is, like, the game that, like, I think gatekeepers would recommend, because it's like, oh, shit. if you don't fucking like it, like, we kept you out of the community, is basically how it feels. I don't know. That's a big statement, I know. We have people like Chelsea who's like the the RGG poster girl. I'm being hyperbolic. I know you are. But (laughs) I do think uh, I I don't love Yakuza 0 versus I would immediately recommend Like a Dragon. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, play that fucking game. Even if it ruins the rest of Yakuza games for people, which I think it will. I think it's going to be hard for me coming off of this year I beat Judgment and like a dragon and to go back to some of the older stylings and ideas of like what the franchise was i don't think e- people do it even with, <clears throat> even with kiwami because i know kiwami is like a reconfiguration of like the older like ps2 game right but i think it's still gonna be harder to like re-steep myself yeah in. dude like if you were onboarded with like let's say resident evil 2 remake or even part 7 uh-huh. i can't divert you to the original remake <laughs> yeah. like you'll play it and be like what the fuck is this i tried that i think people playing like a dragon are gonna be the same where it's like why is this a beat-em-up mm. what is this shit is there not an english 
track <laughs> you know you gotta like there's these things that this game does so well that i think are gonna be instrumental to the series going on okay and like it's just we can't go back <laughs> you know what i'm saying like it almost feels like playing this game that the entire series should have been a jrpg because it just fits mm-hmm. it fits so well they didn't have to change very much at all to make it accommodate what they are already doing mm-hmm. the whole open world sim thing almost feels like it wasn't benefited from the combat system that it had before That's what i'm saying where it's like it feels such at home in this like long sprawling rpg for sure <laughs> does right like it just feels natural and it's so fun and it feels like you're still playing a very actiony beat-em-up because you mm-hmm. have to like look for opportunities uh your enemies are always shifting around mm-hmm. so it's like you have to make your decisions fast you can't just like put the controller down and you know like walk away and then press x later on no no no, no. you have to be engaged with its combat nonetheless just because it's turn-based mm-hmm. doesn't mean it doesn't need your attention, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And the story is fantastic. I think Ichiban is a an immediately likable character. Mm-hmm. Very much the opposite of Kiryu. I think that's another thing that's going to hurt people, too. It's mm-hmm. like, let me play these old ones. And they, f- they find this fucking stoic Yakuza mm-hmm. <laughs> versus Ichiban being a guy who is not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. And he leads with his heart. It's a very yeah. interesting uh protagonist for this series about like gangsters and betrayal and mm-hmm. stuff he is just no matter what you do to this guy 18 years in prison yeah. for instance and he still comes out with a smile on his face and hope in his heart and still defending the people that like betrayed him like to the, his last breath like exactly. it's some of it's to an annoying degree but like he's such a good guy that like you can only root for him in those moments even still he's the hero that we need going yeah. forward man we we can't go back doggy dog that's what the truth is so i think the series should do this mainline series should stay jrpg uh-huh. keep on doing ichiban and then you can do either spinoffs like judgment or maybe even more spinoffs with kiryu if you wanted to mm-hmm. that do like the more brawler stuff right i if we get a sequel where like ichiban is brawling and we don't have a party anymore it's gonna be so bad yeah i don't think we can do that yeah because i want this cast of characters again like i want adachi i want namba i want yeah. psycho like i want all these characters there right. with him because it feels integral to ichiban's story that's like the amazing thing <laughs> Like, these characters aren't just, like, um, kind of window dressing or anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they have very valid portions in Ichiban's story. And they grow with you, and they change, and they make mistakes, too. Mm-hmm. Namba, namba, namba. <laughs> like, it, it's so intriguing. I, I felt like I was rocking with a family at a certain mm-hmm. point, right? You grow with these characters. And there's always been ensemble cast in Yakuza, but there's a big difference between, like, being the lone godly uppercut man (laughs) versus like rolling with your ensemble Mm -hmm. and and having them like comment on the world around you make jokes kind of reveal more about their personality old ass adachi or (laughs) you know psycho just being like how is how do how do these grown men not have money in their bank (laughs) that's a good comment i like when you get uh zhao in your party and it's like he's chinese and you hear Mm -hmm. a lot of like kind of commentary about like chinese versus uh japanese culture yeah and what it feels like to be like an outsider in japanese culture super interesting another big thing that i want to cover in this game is that the fact that it is probably the only video game in existence to humanize homeless people Mm. like ever yeah to like kind of say hey here's kind of their experience and go through and give you side quests about like you know their ambitions and Mm. such one of the ones that kind of stand out is the guy who's trying to impress the soup kitchen girl yeah and it's like a really sweet quest and it it evolves over time and you and at first you're just like well how is this gonna play out are they making fun of him like you you know Mm. and then it's like no man it's 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 really touching actually Mm. there's a lot of touching story quests the ghost girl broke my heart the ghost girl we're 
I was doing this mission and I'm like, oh, I'm on a date, and you're like, with who? And you're just like making fun of it because you knew the end of it. And I was like, Wait, what do you mean? I don't mean? see anybody there. <laughs> you're like, I don't see anybody there, and I'm like, <laughs> and then by the end of it, I came into your room. And I was like, dude, that mission almost made me cry. Yeah, like, it was so. No, it almost got me too. It was a lot. The, it was a lot. <laughs> the side quests, there's like 40 to 50 of them, but yeah. they're all like really well written, really and, well and done, so well done. And one of my favorite bits is that, like, for the most part, like you get summons in the game, and a lot of those summon characters are characters that you get through side quests. Or, like, have side quest missions with, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool to see them, like, become part of, like, you know, your summon. Oh, your pound mates. Unlock. Your, your pound mates. Your pound mates. <laughs> I, I made the comment the other day to you. It was like, it's it's crazy that Yakuza has the best summons better than, like, the last five years of Final Fantasy. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't Jesus disagree. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so good. Um, I spent 100 hours in this game because I really, really adore the, the title. I adore the characters. And honestly, it's a big deal, the fact that uh, the game is localized mm-hmm. um, with actual english um voiceover because it makes it well especially this year is a comment that i was making where like my focus is split fucking everywhere Mm -hmm. where it's like i'm playing a game and i'm doing that like let me grab my phone and check twitter thing Mm -hmm. to have to be able to hear the enunciation and emphasis in my own language i'm like oh i feel like the story's really connecting with me not to say that previous stories didn't but there's just something about this one where i'm like wow (laughs) this is working you Mm -hmm. know and i think um that's going to be the thing that really pushes Yakuza further into the mainstream going forward, mm-hmm. right? And I think even the localization team said that going forward, we want to make sure that we try to localize these games almost at launch, mm. basically. And I think that might be the future for these titles to make them like really successful. Mm. But this one, holy shit, perfect onboarding point, great story, great cast, and I hate JRPGs, mm-hmm. and I love this game. Generally, I hate JRPGs. I, I'm hyperbolic again, but mm. generally they buck me off. Whereas this one, I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm in, I'm in, baby. I'll do everything. What stats? What jobs? What 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 gear can I yeah. grind? Who do I have to romance? What do I have to do? Yeah, what am I doing here? <laughs> what do I? I'm I'm fucking planting uh, seeds to make roses and pansies to give the the girl at the fucking workplace to, to try to date her. Oh, it's great. <laughs> the only game where I would willingly give myself to eight hours of a business mini game because I just enjoyed it so much. <laughs> I don't have the same feeling, yeah. but I did devote myself to it because I needed to. I had some fun with it. Mm-hmm. There's a there's charm throughout any activity in Yakuza, mm-hmm. and this one especially. So it's like it's amazing that it. I played much more of this game than any other Yakuza. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, because it's good. That's true. I feel like you've. Well, okay. Yeah, you, I think you've spent probably north of 60 hours with every Yakuza, but this one, because you're trying to get the platinum, yep. like you're coasting into 100 hours. Yeah, easily. dude. <laughs> this is my longest get. I played a lot of Yakuza this year, too, man. The whole remastered set. You did. Zero in its entirety. Well, I spent through a lot of zero. What a boring game. Anyway. <laughs> What's the next one? Uh, my next one is, and we talked about this at length uh, during our last spoiler cast, but Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Spider-Man. Uh, is that your number three? This is my number three. Nice. Um, I don't even need to look at my phone for it. Uh, I love this game. It was the perfect PS5 launch title for me. Everything that I had critique and like kind of, yeah, everything that I had criticisms about for like 2018 Spider-Man are resolved here in terms of length, in terms of unnecessary padding in the world. I love Miles Morales in this game. I love his cast of characters that surround him. Genki uh rio his friends uh and then kind of like the the nuanced story of like characters that you know are villains but also interplay with him in very normal ways because that's spider-man right like a lot of his villains end up becoming people who are are closest to him and i think it's just all very 
some of it's like subversive some of it you can see coming from a mile away but i think it's just all super well done in in the ways that like a lot of like the mcu movies are doing or even how like into the spider-verse did it really really kind of important game to come out in terms of like representation to have this kind of mixed black puerto rican character and have these moments that really are just they're not like underbaked or underrepresented underrepresented they're all there with a lot of love and a lot of detail and a lot of care and it's just it's so much more i think of like an important game than the original game was just for those reasons alone because this is going to speak to people in ways that like they finally feel represented and i i want to see more of this character like granted we got a decent amount of him in 2018 Spider-Man, but, but to have, not enough. But to have this kind of mid-cool game where you really get to be him and see him grow into his own and and be greater is so awesome. And I just, it's, <laughs> it was a short experience that I probably could have spent maybe twice the amount of time in, which I know is insane to say because I said, oh, 2018 Spider-Man is too long, but like. The Platinum made you play the game twice, and I didn't even care because I was so engrossed by the characters and the world and all of it. It's just, it's seething with style. Like, the fact that, you know, this Spider-Man is his own Spider-Man, is his own person, you know? The hip-hop influence, the fact that his fight style and in combat suite is different is just really neat um, to the point where I prefer playing as him probably over playing Pete, which is a bummer to say. But mm-hmm. I think his, his, his skill kit is, like, it's simpler and cooler in a lot of ways. They've outdone themselves. Yeah. Insomniac like, has out- outdone themselves. The Venom Strike, like, once you give that to me, you cannot take it away, Insomniac. No. Like, let me keep it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, everything else we, we kind of talked about in length. Like, I, I love yeah, the suits. The review episode. I love the uh, side quests. I love, we didn't really talk about this, but I love the introduction of Danica Hart as kind of like this commenter and podcaster of the world. Ashley Birch, right? Yeah, Ashley Birch. Yeah. I think she was really cool and you get some missions with her that are awesome. And the the story, the way it kind of like, it has these like three kind of villain arcs that overlap that come to a head in a really clean way and feel well resolved. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people felt like the last act was rushed and I'm just like, eh, not really. Not really like to it, me, man. I feel like it was like this game had perfect pacing um, and it just, everything it did really landed for me. And I just... The, the, the last <laughs> act was rushed. They did the whole Last of Us thing where we, we sat down in a museum for a while. Like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> and learned science. <laughs> Yeah, we learned about science, and we, you know, I, there was a connection between Finn yeah. and Miles. <laughs> and what, what I said about Avengers like an hour ago, where it's like that's kind of I want that to be like the MCUification of video games. Like, yeah, the Spider-Man games are doing it already, right? Just ha- with one character, just with one character, just with the Spider-Man universe, and having yeah. like these flashback scenes where it's like, oh, that's Pete, oh, that's Otto, or like just having yeah. Pete and, and Miles interact because they've known each other for like two years at this point is is really cool. And while it's like his year two of of being spider-man like i want to see what his year three is and year four look like and i want to see what the rest of this franchise looks like because it's just it's the best spider-man franchise in video games we've ever gotten (laughs) and take that maximum carnage i feel lucky to have it i don't know it's just it's it's really great suck it never softs spider-man one and two (laughs) (laughs) to pull the quote that that always stands out to me like he he's our spider-man now like and that's all spider-man that, that's all spider-man <laughs> it's just it's it's so good and I, I can't rave about it enough so that's that's my number three spider-man takes takes pets like nothing else eh? <laughs> what a good spider-man <laughs> bodega cat for the win my number three is a game you have mentioned is ghost of shushima wow. just like you i don't have like that deep 
uh, of uh, you know insights to kind of discuss because mm-hmm. the game feels a lot like how Horizon did, which is there isn't necessarily like a billion new ideas. It's not like this genre definer. It just does everything it sets out to do very, very well. Mm-hmm. Like it all is super cohesive and honestly is an easy open world game to play Mm -hmm. in that i didn't even want to fast travel through most of the game because i Mm -hmm. honestly wanted to take it in because it's not super gigantic and it's so easy to like move around using your horse and the wind mechanic is so interesting Oh, i forgot about that yeah integrating (laughs) like your navigation without having just fucking giant waypoints all over or a mini map Mm -hmm. or some shit is a brilliant way to actually integrate the design without taking away from the fact that i should be looking at the world instead of the lower left corner of the screen that is what an open world game should be. Yeah, the UI is some of the cleanest and le- like least obtrusive UI, and just mm-hmm. like that, like swiping on the touchpad yep. to like make the win happen and kind of just guide your your journey is like really it's it's, so smart. It's neat. I I think the combat landed a little bit more for me just because I also understood that taking on hordes of enemies needed to have combat that I wasn't like overly like thinking about all the time going like oh what is this parry what does this do? Uh, some of the stances kind of fucked me up, but mm-hmm. like when you get into it where it's like oh. Here's the importance of stances. This is good against shield guys. Mm. This is good against spear guys. This is good. Oh, shit. And when you start to master that, you feel like a fucking samurai. Yeah. It's so good. By the end of the game, you feel like a beast. Right. And I really like Jin. I really like his characterization. I think the thing that really stood out to me is because I thought the story overall was kind of cookie cutter in a way that it wasn't any different than honestly superhero origin stories mm-hmm. that we've seen before had a very batman begins feel yeah. to like the whole thing but what really stood out to me was that he struggled with this idea of he was told what being a samurai is what honor is what it means and how you don't deviate but to come face to face with an enemy that does not give a shit about your honor and is willing to do anything to crush you. Mm-hmm. He understood that he had to evolve and to see him struggle with like kind of diving into that darkness as the story goes and have people react in a negative way, but mm-hmm. have new people in his life show him people that he respects and cares for show him like, no nah, man, you got to do what you got to do mm-hmm. to get on by. It, it's an intriguing thing. I really like where we leave off with him and I'm so fascinated to see like where else we go. Cause I don't think um, you kind of mentioned where it's like, Oh wow. It took like a lot out of him. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I think he's evolved his worldview to something that will work going mm-hmm. forward. Like he is the hero, just like Batman. <laughs> he is the hero that they need, but maybe not the one they deserve. I, or maybe mm-hmm. it's the other way. I forget that quote. Fuck that movie. It's He's our Batman. He's our Batman. <laughs> Takes a pet like nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a good cat. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the side quests, I think, I'm with you there. I, I was fascinated by the side quests even more than the main story because mm-hmm. like, they all have really intricate beginning, middle, and ends. And mm-hmm. I really love the side quests that were recurring. You know, like, you know how you get exhausted in some games where it's like, uh, so-and-so side quests, one to seven. Yeah. If you're playing Final Fantasy 15, that means you got to hunt Cactor for seven different yeah. missions. In this one, you are growing as a human, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is crazy. And having these stories um, evolve, and you really do have a sense where it's like, there's a takeaway that Jin has with every single one of them, where mm-hmm. he kind of becomes really reflective about, like, what's my standing and what good do I do? What does the ghost represent and how do I affect that versus what can I not control how people perceive me? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, you know, because like he it honestly, I keep on comparing it to Batman because it is Batman where he is dealing with iconography. He is having to manage a mythos while still acting as a person and trying to figure out what's like 
the right balance between, well, what could be considered good versus evil. It's really dynamic in that story, actually. So I think that those themes kind of landed with me a lot because, like, morality is such an interesting mm-hmm. to play. Like, it's a playground in any story, mm-hmm. essentially. It just so happens it's a really excellent open world game on top <laughs> of that, too. Like, it's it, it doesn't fucking waste your time. Mm-hmm. And the moment you think it does, by the 50th Fox statue, it's done. You're like, oh, shit, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> it's over. Or, like, doing the sort of thing that Assassin's Creed games make you do where you have to clear out, like, Mongol camps. I didn't mind mm-hmm. it as much. Yeah, for sure not. And there's actually a good reason why, I think, is that uh, Sucker Punch is, like, obsessive with making sure that every mechanic is as inobtrusive and Mm. smooth as possible. Like, the simple fact that it is super easy and not convoluted to choose between, let's say I'm perched on, like, a wire and I see two enemies, choosing between, like, what action to take, either a takedown or, like, a full-on stab was really smooth. It was like, oh, hey, you actually separated the buttons instead Mm. of making one button do 50 things. (laughs) That's smart. Why didn't video games? Yeah, so many other games could have done that by now. (laughs) So, whereas Naughty Dog, as you said, was super insular, I feel like Sucker Punch very much absorbs as many games as possible to figure out what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And you could feel that in this product where it's like, hey, we understand that you've played a million games like this before. Here's how we're different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it works. So, I. I have nothing but massive respect for this game. And Sucker Punch, you have my sworn loyalty. You lost me a little bit with Infamous Second Son. <laughs> you lost me a little bit. You got me back with First Light. Yeah. But this, loyalty. I'll, I'll take the sword. There we go. There, there we, we go. go. What's your number two? My number two is The Last of Us Part Two. <laughs> and I know you have your reasons probably for why it couldn't rank as high maybe the climate maybe the year that it released in whatever the case may be it triggers my anxiety i think despite (laughs) all this despite all that like despite how tense how overtly violent how one note some of the revenge tale of it is i think it's a masterpiece of a game i think it's like the most perfect follow-up that could have been for the last of us part yeah like there's no other way they could have done it and i feel like that's why they did this like I don't think Neil and Naughty Dog and, and Hallie Gross would have come up with the story if they felt like they didn't need to tell it. They obviously felt compelled to, so yep. they went all in in ways that felt true to the characters, felt true to the world, and felt true to what The Last of Us is. It's an exhausting game. It's 20 to 30 hours, and like we've said, it's probably like two hours too long, and it suffers from pacing issues, and if it weren't for all that, it would probably be my game of the year. Right. Um, because I do think it it just is phenomenal. Like, I think so much of what is in place from the original Last of Us is done better here in terms of character interactions, in terms of the combat. Like, the combat's so evolved. Like you were saying, like, having so many different ways to engage, like, that sort of... Um, <clears throat> hotline miami approach where it's like how am i gonna guns blaze through this room what is my strategy gonna be and the fact that like you have to be very tactical based off of what you have on your arsenal is really cool now the first game is like that but i feel like i just felt more equipped doing it here and there's so much more intention to detail and towards everything you could do with it that's one thing you really do feel like you're in a real place not a video game environment yeah you feel like you're in a real place that you need to figure out and accommodate mm-hmm. like four where it's like oh this doesn't make sense to defend here or i'm gonna get bottlenecked in a fucking garage yeah. if i decide to like take a standoff here yeah or like those kind of like spur of the moment decisions where it's like i need to get upstairs but if i smash this window that fucking dog's gonna hear me but it's like <laughs> but i need to do this so i'm gonna yeah. do it and like just hope <laughs> for the best it's such a well-polished experience and it has some obsessive details that i think you know maybe didn't always need to be there like you know 
having all these animations for everything is while impressive it's like what does it really serve other than to say hey look how cool this is like when you're at the workbenches and you're taking apart a gun to like upgrade oh, it it's like, painfully slow looks cool <laughs> but it's just like it's like yeah. the red deadification <clears throat> of it where it's like i'm watching a 10 second animation of this gun being put back together it's interesting you bring up those game or yeah. that game because like i i think they're very similar they are <laughs> in, in the fact that like out of all the video games i've ever played there's only two that ever felt like reading a thick novel mm-hmm. and that's red dead redemption 2 and the last of us part mm-hmm. two like it for some reason <laughs> it just feels that way now i love the catalyst of the plot joel's death that kind of spurs like the next like 20 hours that follow um i love seeing ellie become this character that's unrecognizable that like we learn to love like with all of our chests in the first game yep. and then almost feel betrayed and not at ends with her it's such an interesting way to write her and then have this other character kind of the other side of the coin that is abby come in and almost feel more sympathetic to her cause and at times want to see her like win and when those two stories kind of come to head like in the middle and there's a scene where you're playing as abby fighting ellie i'm just like how could you make me do this this hurts but like it's just such a brilliant idea to make the player have to do that Although I, I got to tell you, I didn't really like that boss fight where you're playing is like Abby against Ellie, mm-hmm. where like Ellie has this fucking goblin like look on her yeah. face, but she's just like crawling <laughs> just around. Thought, I'm gonna get you, Abby. <laughs> like I, but I do, I do take yeah. the point that they're trying to make, which is like look at her from another perspective. Yeah. You think you all you see is like behind her shoulder the entire time you're playing as Ellie. Yeah. Look at what she's become, and it's like oh god, that's frightening, <laughs> right? Like I get it, I get the point. Yeah, but it was just so weird because she she did this weird grimace when she came at you. <laughs> And you're like, get away from me. <laughs> like, stop it. Yeah. But th- it's also that, too, where it's like, it's like how Walking Dead is, where, like, everybody's best friend is somebody else's villain. Like, yeah, there's so many gray point. areas. The world's super nuanced. They're right or wrong, went out the window 30-something years ago, you know, <laughs> when, the, <laughs> when the Cordyceps virus first hit. And it's just seeing these characters that we love through different lenses is so fascinating. Like, seeing Joel, like, we know he's a bad guy, but, like, seeing the results of his acts and see it kind of all play out over the course of 20 hours whether it's like abby being on her revenge quest or seeing like that kind of unresolved question at the end of last of us part one get resolved through him and ellie and even seeing like characters like tommy in like different lights where oh, it's like fucking tommy it's just like it's so it's so nuanced and it must have been hard for a lot of people to have to see these characters in a lot of ways because it's like we immortalize them grants their video game characters but it's like we want them to be the the way they were like seven years ago and the thing is like they're not and even maybe if they were that way seven years ago we still don't know their whole story because they were still living in that world for a while and doing things that are untold and it's just it's such a an interesting collision of of worlds and and happenings that that occur here and i think what they did was divisive but i love it i love their commitment to yeah. it like through and through absolutely the cast of characters is great dina is probably like one of my favorite characters of the year um just seeing her and ellie interplay and having her be your companion character through like her seattle days is like so good um and heartbreaking towards the end where it's like you just want to see them be together and yeah. it's just like the story is so much more complicated than that because ellie's on this path and it hurts like it's just to have these characters where these scenes play out and you just feel melancholic or you feel like you have a knife twisted in your stomach being turned it it's painful um but it's just it's it's really really well done the setting lands for me i like actually the structuring of the story a lot 
where it's like you have this kind of prologue then you have like where they're at now and then kind of like the narrative of like okay seattle's day one two and three with flashbacks in between and then the mirrored story of abby now some of her segments get a little long for me where it's like i feel like they gave her way too many flashbacks that Mm -hmm. i didn't always care about because as much as i like abby's story i didn't always care about the characters in her world no but i i get why they did it it's to characterize them and humanize them and kind of you know make me feel something for them that I wouldn't otherwise feel like those moments where you walk through all these beats as Ellie. And then to see these people as people through Abby's lens is it's interesting. It's fascinating, but only works with some of the characters like maybe Nora, maybe Owen, but every other character I'm like, ah, fuck Mel, fuck Manny. <laughs> like fuck these people. Um, <laughs> oh, Manny. Yeah. And that, that sniper fight that made me so fucking mad. Yep. Jesus Christ. I hated that. <laughs> I felt like I was personally being attacked during yeah. that fight. <laughs> but it's it's a masterpiece, and I think like some of it's it's very one note. It's dour. It's hard. Super dour. But yeah. the, there's only one tone that yeah. it strikes. <laughs> but the flashbacks introduce a lot of heart and yeah. people trying to reconcile differences because like throughout the spaces in between, like the four years from what happened in Salt Lake City where Joel lies to Ellie and then, you know, up to present day, like there's so much filling in the gaps that occurs. Um, and I love seeing it happen, you know, whether it's like them having their first outing to a museum on, on Ellie's birthday or, you know, later on where like Ellie like comes back from the hospital and she knows at that moment, it's like this really like pivotal scene that we've been waiting for. It's just all so well done. And the performances from like Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson, Laura Bailey, like, all of them are so elevated and so well done. It's like, you feel like they gave it their all. Mm-hmm. And like every time there was a cutscene, like I was just gripped. I couldn't like turn away. And yeah. that maintained through the second playthrough, like nothing lessened when I played the second set of 30 hours again, like <laughs> six months later, like it, it was all still there. Now, like I see why it doesn't land for people. It made hard choices, but like, goddamn, I respect them for it. <laughs> so good. So good. Just the scenes, the scenes were like, Ellie is gripping with like what happened and has walking reminders of the fact that Joel's gone or the PTSD or her very violent like climax where like she loses a finger and like she just has this walking (laughs) representation of like this is what my revenge led me to I'm missing a finger I'm missing the love of my life I have nothing and it's so it's so tragic it's so heartbreaking Mm -hmm. but so so well done well the missing the finger part is um she can no longer play music, which is like the last remnant that she has of Joel. Yeah. Which is just like her whole quest is about loss, yeah. like over and over and over again. Mm. Which it, it almost like just, lets her get mm. to this point where she can let go. Yeah. Which is to nice. To a point. I think um, out of all the video games, fuck, all generation, nothing has come as close to pure cinema as The Last of Us Part Two has. Yeah. It really is cinematic. Like the farmhouse moments, even just the gameplay, how they frame where she's standing in the tall grass, looking back at her old life. Mm. What, that promise of almost having just normalcy in this world. Mm-hmm. And she gave it all up for revenge and just having that just sit on her, walking inside and seeing it's got it's cleared out. Her, her love of her life is gone, and it's just uh, hollow memories, mm-hmm. right? And for her to say, like, time to move on. It's pure cinema. Yeah. Pure fucking cinema. <laughs> Chills. Every time. Play that fucking game. Yeah, it's, it's fucking, it's a novel in video game format, and I, I think it's honestly, like, it's one of the games of the generation. Like, yeah. I don't care what you think about the discourse about it. You cannot deny how well, like, put together this game was and how, like, perfect the vision was for it. Yeah. So. Well, my my number two is uh, Cyberpunk 2070s. <laughs> sure it is. Sure it is. <laughs> Speaking of games of the generation, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> 
My number two is Spider-Man Miles Morales, mainly because it was uh, Joy put into a vial, mm. attach a syringe, stab it in my eyeball, <laughs> inject it straight into my fucking brain. I didn't want to play anything else when I, when that game came out, right? That was my first PS5 game. I was like, I'm just going to fucking play this. Fuck the rest of these. I didn't even unwrap the rest of the games. I just played Spider-Man Miles Morales. <laughs> for like 48 straight hours. <laughs> for 48 straight hours. I got the platinum. I fucking did it twice. It was the middle of the night when I got the platinum too. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but um, here, here, here's a big statement. I'm going to say it. Spider-Man Miles Morales is a mid-quill. It is a truncated version of the original game. Mm-hmm. A stopgap between what is supposed to be a new sequel. At some point that'll come out. And yet, despite that fact, it is better than 2018 Spider-Man. Yeah. It is a better game, through and through. I, I, I can't say it any other way. It's a better game. It's amazing. And going forward, do not do anything without Miles. He is too fun to play as. He is too good of a character. He is too good of a supporting cast. It's like, I don't know, any like you said, any qualm that I could have had with the original game gone from this one mm-hmm. like the fact that the the random crimes that would like you know eat up your time in the original game are consolidated to a phone app that genki made for mm-hmm. you we have a lore reason for it what yep. <laughs> that's called clearing away the ludo narrative dissonance <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just the game is built for you to just take it on exactly how you want have fun with it the way that you want go on the story and it does something that other open world games uh don't do very well because because it's a truncated game which is the pacing is perfect like unless you are literally just swinging for 14 straight hours without engaging in it with anything you are going to get on a story path and it blends in so naturally right mm-hmm. whereas like yakuza for instance some of it's like a little off kilter because it's like oh let me go on the story mission and then you don't realize you're gonna do like four straight hours of cutscenes. yeah whereas this game's like no it's in and out everything's like nice and bite-sized but still filling and it just one after another it keeps on building up to that i think an awesome finale Mm -hmm. it's a great finale that one actually hurt me man yeah like the way that they build up finn you're the bad guy of the story Mm -hmm. just like giving her just enough nuance for you to be like uh yeah i kind of understand why you're fucking going over the deep end on this one right like she's not wrong fucking roxon's right over here destroying all of her like literally right there her her anger is justified yeah she lost her brother she's a vigilante with good reason Right, but it's like it's one of those things. I think um, villain. Some of the best villains are villains that could have easily been heroes, mm. very easily. Doc Ock was the same way; could have very easily been a hero that advances his scientific field. And Finn could have been someone who was a uh, part of the civil rights movement that would have fucking just protected Harlem. Mm. And it didn't go down that way, mm. <laughs> right? And it's so tragic. It really is an honestly tragic story. Um, and that's what makes it so good because it was like, dude, you put that in a midquill. <laughs> holy yeah. shit dude <laughs> yeah insomniac is like on a different level right now with this game like down to its stylistic choices the pulsing theme songs everything fits miles the hip-hop like when you're swinging that just kind of right. kicks up and you're like holy fuck i don't want to stop swinging yeah they made it feel like whereas like peter's world was like yeah it's Pete swinging yeah. through new york whatever like you honestly legitimately feel like the theme of the story of miles finding his identity as spider-man is communicated through the gameplay mm-hmm. as like you level up as you go through levels the way he makes choices you feel like everything i'm doing is so centered around miles that it couldn't this game couldn't exist with like another character mm-hmm. it's that good fucking amazing game it's my, my second favorite game just because it's joyride mm-hmm. pure joyride like that that's a uh, 
fucking um, smiling at both corners of the mouth yeah. kind of game, right? Put that on the cover right there. You made Kevin smile. <laughs> Very few smile things. Smile to your ears. Smile to those ears, boy. <laughs> Inject it straight into my brain, Kevin, yeah. in the save room. Inject this fucking game in me. <laughs> so I want to replay it eventually. I, I just burn through it, right? Yeah, I hope they add more content to it, but we'll we'll see. If, if they don't and then they just focus on what is the third installment of that franchise, I won't be mad either. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Kevin, here we are at the end of the road, the end of the game of the year conversation. Uh, Ooh. These things are never short. They're never short, and they get longer every year. Because we refuse to do a consolidated list. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the that's Honestly, the this year we probably could have done a consolidated list, because yeah, like it's, our, it's like the same. And we also took a quick step away break that you guys didn't notice, because we edited it out. But we will not be doing our backlog talk this episode. We will be doing it on another episode. This shit is too long, yeah. <laughs> we have decided. But yeah, we, we have like enough of a girthy like conversation on that alone. But mm-hmm. I'm very glad that our number one is the same, because we can have a shared conversation about number one. Didn't we do that back in April? Uh, what? We did a review episode for it back in April. Oh, that's right. We were like, this is game of the year already. <laughs> well, number one on here is Bloodborne. 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 You know, I, every year running, Bloodborne yeah. should win, I think. Five years running. <laughs> I like the meme you did of, like, uh, I forget his name, uh, Pedro Pascal's character from... Life Wonder is Wonder good. But could be better. <laughs> but it could be better. And it's Bloodborne and Standard and Bloodborne at 60 frames per second. Oh, dude, good I stuff. want it. Jesus Christ. What's our number one game? Our number one is none other than Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, and honestly, people come out of sideways for it, but I don't give a fuck because... There is no game this year that like made me feel such good highs, such good lows, joy all around. Like this game is just such a complete package. It is the reason I love video games. It's the reason I love Final Fantasy. And I think um, I know it's divisive for a lot of people uh, just because of the sheer notion that it's not the full game. But I think Square Enix, Katase and Namora did a great job at rebooting and kind of re-envisioning what this new Final Fantasy VII arc is going to look like. And I'm here for the ride because uh, it's subversive, it's cool, and a lot of it, it's it's cool to see a game that you played like years ago remade, you know? It's like almost like how the directors and creators of Resident Evil 2 remake were like, oh, this is what we always imagined Resident Evil 2 would be. And mm-hmm. this is like in my brain, like probably how I always hoped Final Fantasy would be, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, what they did here. Is it perfect? No. Some of it is definitely, like, it lacks polish. Some of it's ugly. Some of it's also very at odds with itself in terms of, like, uh, that Ludo narrative of, like, okay, cool, there's this pressing threat of Shinra and eco-terrorism and all the stuff that we should be combating, but we're looking for cats, you know? Mm. But I don't even mind that because it just it all works. Like I wanted to be in that world as as long as I could every time I pop that game in because it's just being with Cloud, being with that cast of characters, just it hit for me from the opening hours to the the, the final moments. Like I just it made me feel so good to play. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I love this game and I I really want to see the rest of it go places that hit the same notes. You know. God, I hope, right? Yeah. I mean, this is like the video game's video game. Yeah. It <laughs> it's affirming in a way that it reminds me of why I love video games to begin with. I mean, th- th- this one's like high octane, over the top, mm-hmm. but has a grounding and emotional hook with its characters 
what's funny is they all start as like little you know anime tropes to be mm-hmm. honest with you at the beginning yeah. and then you have these really nuanced conversations where they reveal their motivations or what they're afraid of mm-hmm. or who they are or maybe you see them in a different light uh kind of like with jesse for mm-hmm. instance where you know she she poses herself as one way and then you really get to learn about her life and like a surprise mm-hmm. that was a surprising diversion by the way for this remake where you'd like see her father in bed and all that stuff well that's the thing about this game versus the original where you're doing an expansion a 40-hour expansion of the first seven hours where some of these characters only had like very few lines yeah and to have like whole chapters with them and have <laughs> them be fleshed out in characterization is so amazing to see and that's the thing that I think is brilliant about this game is that it, it was a smart choice to just focus on the Midgar sections, mm-hmm. you know, just focus on Sector 7 and all that, because we get to see it in a whole new light, a really fleshed out light where when you're walking through the Sector 7 slums, seeing people just get on by, mm-hmm. live their day to days, running around, chasing their cats and <laughs> stuff like that. It just, it feels like a, such a living world. The world building in this game is phenomenal, mm-hmm. right? And how the characters respond to that and watching cloud like shirk away from being just like a how do you say like a trope like mm. a you know the stoic yeah. hero because he is through and through but through like and through but like he gets chipped away at by mm. people like Aerith, for instance that mm. see something a little bit underneath and even barrett kind of like you know <laughs> grows to get used to how he is but really sees him for mm. who he is you go like nah motherfucker you're here nonetheless and that counts and it's like all of these moments these character moments just cement it mm-hmm. in my mind right that's it's so amazing that's one of my favorite things because you get chapters where like cloud is with the whole group and then you get segment chapters where he's like he's just with Aerith, or he's just with tifa or he's just with barrett and tifa mm-hmm. and it just like seeing them build a dynamic together that's nuanced and seeing him react differently to each character is just it's so so well done and I just like there were these moments that I just wanted to live in forever, yeah. right? Like those moments um, in I think Sector Five with with Aerith and Cloud, where it's like they're just hanging out and getting to know each other, and she's like kind of playfully jabbing at him and kind of chipping away at his exterior. It's like so heartfelt and so like just expertly written. <laughs> oh, and the voice actor for for Aerith, yeah. out of this world yeah. with that characterization. One one other thing I should note is that uh, Square Enix finally did it. They finally made the perfect blend of RPG mechanics with action. Yes. Like, ever. Yeah. Like, the real-time combat mixed with, like, you can kind of do this um, Mass Effect pause time thing to choose your next moves mm-hmm. is brilliant. It feels so good. And the fact that you can control everyone in your party is not, like, a novel concept, but the fact that they feel so unique mm-hmm. across each other, it feels like entire action games could have been built by, on Cloud's mechanics, Tifa's mechanics, Barrett's yeah. mechanics. It's so cool. Yeah. I think that's probably why they needed to do it in parts because like to have a whole dynamic party of eight different characters who all play very differently is probably hard to do on the onset. Oh, absolutely. But to have it be like, okay, we got this initial installment. We can make these four characters work and we'll worry about how introducing how we'll introduce other characters down the line. But the combat and gameplay and uniqueness of each character is actually like one of my favorite things of this year like this was my favorite game to play all year because it felt so fun to play as cloud to get in there with my buster sword or my different weapon set or equip different materia and just build my stagger meter get in there with really like heavy atb charged attacks and just take down enemies it's just like you feel like it's it's so visceral and so like just in the moment that like you feel like you're doing it as him and it's it's really neat and then I mean, I even liked playing as Tifa more, like getting in there as like a 
knuckle brawler. Feels completely different, yeah, right? Just like punching my enemies to death and kicking them and You know what was actually oh really God. fun too? Playing as Aerith, being kind of like yeah. a, a healer with some assault moves yep. here and there. Super interesting. And I like that the um, you get into these what um not the well the Coliseum fights are really cool. Um the ones with Chadley does, like the virtual The things, battle simulators. The battle simulators, yeah. where you have to play as like the characters individually and like kind of master them, mm-hmm. is so cool. You actually get to see how much thought was put into their mechanics and all that yeah. shit. Um, I like the materia system. I don't like the UI for it, unfortunately, but oh, yeah. I do like how it works and how like it bolsters one thing over the other. And you actually do feel like I need to consider what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, come here, you're a baby. Ah. That's you her fight. game of the year as well. <laughs> That's the baby. Hi, you want to you want to talk about your game of the year? No, you get quiet. Okay. <laughs> uh, you fight a fucking house. Yep, <laughs> you fight Hell House. The fights are really good in this game, like amazingly good. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I don't think there's a single fight that I really despise. Maybe that one fight with the weird guy. I can't. I don't remember his name. It's Roche. on a rooftop. Roche. No, the, not Roche. The motorcycle guy. No, that one's fine. The 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 guy that you fight who. His dad is, like, the president. The Shinra president. Oh, Rufus. Rufus. The Rufus fight is actually, like... (sighs) That one's frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating, because it's, like, you're fighting, like, a really skilled, like, gun tactician, and he's got his dog as well. Yeah, that that one's rough. I I like it, but it's, like, it's not my favorite. Um, I like some of the one-on-one fights, like, where you fight the Turks, uh, where you fight, like, oh, what the fuck is his name? Reno and Rude. Reno and Rude. The fight with Reno is, like, in the church is really really great that's a cool one yeah it's really cool i like the one-on-one fights like a lot (laughs) they're so good it the game does this thing where it fulfills the promise of that advent children cgi thing Mm -hmm. that people love so long ago where they're like i want to play action like that Mm. in final fantasy and like square just couldn't like manage it for years and like across different titles like look at final fantasy 15 for instance Mm -hmm. combat's not that great in that game it's it's no. age worse and worse. It's just like hey, triangle to warp strike, triangle to warp strike. God, it's so boring. <laughs> and then you come across this, which is like it gives you an authentic challenge and pushes you to master its different components and feels rewarding as you go along. Doing the game on fucking hard. Oh yeah, yo, dude, that was like one of my favorite challenges all year. At that point, it does the thing where it's like you're you don't have benches to replenish mm-hmm. like your HP and and mana, so you have to really manage your magic and manage your equip load with your materia and and have the perfect optimized loadout and get good at swapping between characters on the fly which is like one of my favorite systems where it's like i'm gonna build a character up with maybe some of Aerith's um like magic attacks or like tifa's quick strikes and then i'm gonna get in there with cloud and give some heavy attacks and just fucking destroy them fuck the whole situation they get different weapons too which is really cool the the dynamic interplay of the characters and swapping between them on the fly never felt old i played 80 hours of that game and i could play 80 more just doing that so fucking good playing playing through the game i felt as engrossed as i did playing final fantasy as a kid on the playstation where i just like wanted to burn through it i wanted to keep on playing it i want to leave the world and i thought that was amazing for a modern one because there's been modern final fantasies where i'm like no (laughs) i'm gonna bounce yeah Yeah, this one is engrossing i think it it does the thing where maybe some of the the better parts of the more recent games like 13 15 it cherry picks and just masters and then it manages to capture like the old school feel of like what makes these sort of games special 
every time I sat down with it, I had like just wide-eyed childlike wonder. Like when a certain score hit or when a certain boss came up that I remembered as a kid, like fighting the, cl- uh, the airbuster or, you know, fighting the scorpion in the beginning hours. I'm just like, this is so what I wanted it to be. <laughs> it's like, it's great. It's just, it's well choreographed. The set pieces are, are just so well designed. And you, you think it would get old after a while, just playing throughout the slums over and over across like 18 chapters, but no. they managed to make it all feel like really <laughs> dynamic and different. Some of it like is like, okay, I'm walking through a sewer, a sewer or I'm walking through this kind of like whatever area. But for the most part, like that's just such a small percentage of it where everything else just feels like very unique and lived in. And, there were areas that I just, I love being in. Like, I think Sector 6 and then Wall Market, that sort of, like, lively, like, hey, this is our kind of, like, entertainment sector was just so cool. Yeah, Wall Market's <laughs> such a highlight of the game. Yeah. And that Coliseum fight's so fucking ridiculous and good. And then Don Corneo <laughs> shows oh, up. Ball. God damn. Yeah, there's so many moments that are just, like, pure highlights. And I'm, I'm glad that they, like, expanded and exploded out these moments from the original game because where we can actually, like, breathe with them. Mm-hmm. I do agree with the fact of, like, splitting this game up, right? Because I don't think it would have been ever feasible mm. to give us a product, like, that long. And, like, if, if they're going to do this for every part of the original game, yeah, that's got to be a fucking series right there, yeah. right? You know? Um, especially with how, you know, all the characters work and such. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, I don't know. I fucking love this game. I don't know what else to say. Like, I, I can try to, like, illustrate it, but um, I think I want to speak more to the mentality that it's not a one-to-one remake, which is, sure. it's more about how our memory works over time. Mm-hmm. Like, think about it. Final Fantasy VII came out when a lot of people were kids. Mm-hmm. Actually, any year in this world, there's kids. Did you know that? <laughs> but, you know, for a lot of people, it came out at a very impactful time for them where it's like, oh, wow, like kind of how people like connect with Ocarina. Mm-hmm. They connected with Final Fantasy VII yeah. the same way. And it was a lot of people's first like JRPGs. Right. But what happens with that is that we start making a kind of a legend in our own heads, mm-hmm. right? That that fondness and then that nostalgia and time and how memory works starts growing that legend beyond anything. And when fans were teased with the idea of a remake, I think they started making that game in their head something that's just unachievable. Something that matches the legend in their head of what it should be because to them, everything about the original game becomes sacrament Mm -hmm. in their head. But when you go back to Final Fantasy VII, which we both have Mm -hmm. on the Switch, for instance, it's like, yeah, this is fine. (laughs) You know, it's old. Some of the writing's bad. Mm -hmm. It's not much going on in this place. You know, it's it's like you see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's way different than the legend in people's heads, Mm -hmm. right? It's, I think that's why Advent Children had a weird disruptive effect with fans Mm -hmm. because they started like connecting those dots of like what their original experience was Mm -hmm. with the feeling of the high octane fights from that movie. Mm -hmm. So it's like to try to make a game like that is the impossible mission. So what Square Enix did was not. (laughs) They decided not to remake the game. Mm -hmm. They decided to reboot the game. Mm -hmm. They decided to give us a new game that openly addresses that the original story exists first of all and that we're gonna rewrite it (laughs) this is one of my favorite things about this game the whispers openly addresses (laughs) that that continuity exists Mm -hmm. like there is a version in fans heads that is real and is out there and is addressed in the narrative of this story but something happens (laughs) something's different we're going on a different journey and people within our story know it Mm -hmm. like Aerith. and that is one of the most fascinating fucking things i've seen happen to a franchise it could have very easily just been like we're restarting from the beginning Mm -hmm. but nomura in his 
mushroom clouded <laughs> thought process <laughs> said i'm gonna do something that's going for the fucking fences we're gonna swing for the fences on this one and that subversion is so cool like it, it's like this melding of like yeah no the final fantasy you know is there and will always exist it'll always be a testament in our history this is something new this is a new journey we want to take you on with and maybe we don't even know where it's going i don't think they do <laughs> right but we want to see it through because we're going on this journey together, yep. making this one of the more special games uh, to come out in years mm-hmm. in that way, right? Like, it's not just a finite product by itself. It is the first step in a promise <laughs> to oh, revisit. Nice. To revisit and find something new and tease out something new from what is considered legendary in people's heads. And hopefully give us something special in the process. Love it. <laughs> It's everything I could have asked for and and more. They they could have botched it, and I've been let down by Namora a lot. Like everything my... I could ask for and Namora and Namora and Namora. And he, I mean, Kingdom Hearts three is an example of a game that like I had high hopes for that just kind of didn't do it, fell flat. And <clears throat> to have this come out and redeem it is just amazing to me. A game so powerful redeems Kingdom Hearts three. <laughs> yeah. Who knew Final Fantasy seven remake is light. <laughs> <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3 is dark. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts uh, Memory of Melody? Something else altogether. <laughs> mom? Yeah, Kingdom Hearts Mom? <laughs> That's something else. But it's it's just a game, it's it's full of highs, it's emotional. Like all the scenes that were like these like cinematic master strokes from like 23 years ago, like seeing that happen in 3D for the first time, seeing it expanded in just very, very illustrative ways, seeing like moments like the sector plate crashing like on the slums seeing those moments in the shinra building seeing all the moments with fucking sephiroth like it's just god it Be- hits man bewildered by kate sith yeah showing up somehow pounding his fist into the earth <laughs> yeah i i mean i'm eager for what final fantasy remake part two is but i don't want them to rush it you know i think they they said amongst themselves like we can release more games on quicker timeframes or we can release less games on longer timeframes. And if this attempt ended up being three really solid games that took maybe eight years to make in total, I'd be okay with it because they're all games unto themselves, you know? It'd make history. Yeah. It would make history. We would always talk about this three-parter. My hope is just that there is continuity between all of them and that they do not change the gameplay too drastically because the gameplay is perfect. Yeah, you know, if you're gonna change anything, make it a little better. That's all. That's change all you can change do. the world a little bit. Yeah. I would say, like, um, I think the limitations of last gen, where it was predominantly, you know, mm-hmm. developer, uh, like having to have these like obvious disguises for loading screens, mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, I'm going to slip through a crack very slowly yep. and wiggle my body through. It's like, dude, you did that to me like 14 times this level. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. And on PS5 with the fucking SSD, like, we're not gonna need to do that anymore. No. Nah. No, give it to me all. So we'll see if they if they do it. I do want to see the sequel expand out a bit more, mm-hmm. like actually play with a like an open world, which is what the rest of the game does. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, usually like when you go to calm and then get like kind of released into the open world, it's like okay, cool. Now I'm meeting other characters that are optional that I can add to my party and and just finding hidden stuff in the open worlds and. I know. You love Final Fantasy VII Remake, too. <laughs> you love Final Fantasy Let her go. There you, you go. A lot of it's just like, there. there's such a scope of, of this game where it's like, the open world 
side questy segments are very contained and i i'm interested to see how this is gonna funnel into a, a bigger experience mm-hmm. you know because like the <clears throat> gameplay is kind of seamless in and out where it's like you get into a battle and it's like it doesn't pull you out of it too hard you know no you, you're literally like you see a thing on the field you fight it <laughs> and then you're out of the fight and like yeah. i hope like they can just kind of optimize that process because it's like when you're roaming an open world field like you want that to be as seamless as possible but we'll we'll see how they do it i mean final fantasy 15 was and i guess 14 those are good examples of like those games that kind of weave the two where it's like you're always living in an open world as it is um what's gonna come out first 16 or probably 16 (sighs) yeah it's gonna be a crashing disappointment Mm -hmm. if the combat in that game is not this I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to be like, what the fuck, guys? I mean, it's going to be different, right? It has a different like, creative director altogether. And, <laughs> I mean, hopefully they, they do borrow some systems. I just, y'all, you got it right. Yeah. Let it be known. You need to pivot on that, dog. <laughs> pivot on how well it's done, right? You know, like, we're, it's not like we're, you know, asking you to do 20 Yakuza games with the same combat. Mm-hmm. Which we're asking Yakuza to do from now on. But, you know, it, it just seems like it works really well. It's going to feel, like, regressive to go back to the combat system from 15. Oh, like, yeah. Super regressive. For sure. Yeah, it's going to be like, why, why'd you do this? You fucking perfected it. Yeah. What happened? At this point, like, all you need to do is, like, iterate, iterate, iterate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that game. I want to revisit it. I hope they do, like, a PS5 upgrade of some sort. I wanted to play through it again before we sat down for this episode, but it's just, like, I... We got too many games. Like, I had other stuff I was working through. Like, I wanted to Platinum Last of Us Part 2. I wanted wanted to play through all of Yakuza Like a Dragon. So a lot of, like, this is going to have to wait. And if they inevitably do do, like, a PS5, like, upgrade version of it, I'll play it. I'll play the shit out of it again. I'll Platinum it twice. Because that's how much I love the game. Like, it just... (laughs) Everything works. The characters, the music, the combat, cinematics, the story. And, I mean, for a story that, like, I didn't really care about in the original Final Fantasy VII, like... I love what they're doing here. Yeah. It's challenging. It's unique. It's subversive. It's got great and characters. I don't actually know where it's going to go. And that's kind of interesting. That's the exciting yeah. part. It's like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> what's going to happen? I'm, I'm in for the ride. I know it's going to take a while to like, kind of do it, but this is, um, even if this ends up being the strongest chapter, which would be very sad, mm-hmm. makes sense, right? <laughs> this was a strong, strong, I guess, revisitation mm-hmm. of that source material. Like, Hey, let's do something else with it and it was interesting so love it top of the game top of the top top game of the year top game of the year right top there I, the I can't i can't say it man i got i got mako mako in my eyes i'm the mako child i love this game so much i can hear the planet crying out and daniel crying out <laughs> <laughs> well there we go i think we got through our top tens it's it this lists. episode probably listened back like a top 100 for for how long it was. Uh, so we're sorry about that. Yeah, that's three hours. Um, that happened last year, too. What's yeah, going on? it is what it is. I want to take a, a quick moment um, to, to shout out some of the roommates games of the year. And we got we got a few of them in here. Uh, our, our buddy Big Bearded Al, he's got the big beard. Whoa. His top three was uh, Ghost of Tsushima was number one. Nice. Final Fantasy VII Remake was number two. Should have been number one. Should have been like, number one. He loves that Japanese shit, so I don't, I don't, I'm not going to hate on him. And number three, <laughs> Crusader Kings 3. I don't know what that is but hey three for three hey, hey let me ask you a question huh yeah. well where are you from what's that accent dude 
What's that accent, huh? I'm from the South, man. Oh, you're from the South, huh? Oh, what? South what? <laughs> South Florida. Um, Buddy Garblox said number one is Hades. Number two is Final That's... Fantasy VII Remake. Number three is Grand Blue <laughs> Fantasy Versus. <laughs> really? All these number oh, threes are just like I've never played. Yeah, people are like throwing the fucking like crazy. Yeah. Like they're they're shaking up like a hat full of like video game <laughs> names and just going, here's my number three. Um, I, yeah, I think we had a pretty bog standard top list yeah as far sure. as like you know industry lists go for sure um, and then i just didn't play too many indie games this year unfortunately yeah. um i went through i played like a lot of backlog games like all the indie games i played this year were from like previous years that, mm, yeah so that's true we'll get to that last one on here our friend make monsters make monsters from twitch.tv slash make monsters so he had he had two lists his his came out in 2020 list which is this year is uh or last year i guess <laughs> at this point wow Gotta get used to that. His number one is Yakuza 7, like a dragon. Number two is Hades, respectable. Number three is Bullets Per Minute, which is like a rhythm game. Rhythm FPS, So that's, actually, that's yeah. pretty cool. And then he had a separate list for... <laughs> of course he did. His first games he played in 2020 that didn't come out in 2020. So number one is Death Stranding, the Kojima classic. Amazing game. Yeah. Which is very telling of a current state of things. Yep, uh, yep. Very prescient. Number two, Final Fantasy XIV or Final fantasy ziv a realm reborn ziv reborn and then number three is hunt showdown so very cool an very eclectic cool. list for a man that likes eclectic games yeah he he's much like us where he's like he just likes to play video games he likes to get out there and play all that he can play and good list right there so game of the year man 2020 i i gotta say like i <clears throat> for as bad as this year was the games were great what is it bad? What happened? Um, and I want to see, like, now that we're kind of in this this bridging era of, like, you know, next gen is here. It's now gen. You know, what does 2021 look like in terms of, like, you know, <laughs> PS5 games, Xbox Series X games, like, hmm. games that kind of push on all fronts? And will we get them on realistic time frames? Will we get them, you know? <laughs> what's, what's next year? Well, what's this year going to yeah, be like? Exactly. Like, because I really don't know what's coming out this year other than, like, Village and... Evil like Dead. Evil Dead, Back for Blood. They said God of War Ragnarok's coming out this year. We'll yeah. see if that actually yeah, happens. Yeah, we'll see what the fuck that is. So, I can't think. Was there other announced things that were... Oh, damn it. I, I what did Jeff Keighley said was coming out? I think out? Returnal is supposed to come out this year. Yeah. So is a bunch of other games. Yeah. I just like, eh, nothing really stands out too hard, right? Isn't that weird? It is. It's weird because I feel mm-hmm. like in January of previous years, we were able to do like a most anticipated of that coming year and yeah. i can't do that right now because i just don't know well the industry doesn't know right yeah. like they don't know what's coming out like but where's that breath of the wild 2 is that next year probably not um mm. metroid prime 4 is coming out in 2025 <laughs> uh well elden ring could slip out of this year could honestly the way that they're talking like they they put out a tweet just going like hey we're working hard on it and that, that's all they can say and it's like ooh, yeah that may not come out this year fuck i don't know I hope Village comes out in a decent timetable mm-hmm. um, earlier than later. But like, it seems like if it were going to come out earlier this year, we would have known the date already. Mm. So I can see that one easily pushing to the fall. Otherwise, I don't know. Another Call of Duty. Oh, we're always going to get a Call of Duty. <laughs> um, the cast of Rent will be in Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite, I'm, I'm interested to see how they can continue that game going on to like this year. Because like, they do just interesting year end to year shit with it and the fact that now they have like kratos is in fortnite you have master chief in fortnite like who else is gonna be a fortnite not apple 
Oh, shit. <laughs> what, a, what another interesting moment from this year. But, I mean, I don't know. There's there's stuff that, like, I, I'm hopeful for, but we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. We will. we have to live through it. Yeah. Well, hopefully this year is um a bit kinder than 2020 was. We'll see. Part of that is, you know, us doing our due diligence, mm-hmm. understanding that we're not out of a pandemic just because we got bored of it. Mm-hmm. And... I'm trying to be more empathetic. I think last year showed uh, a lot of bad sides to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. It's time to be better, I'd say. Yeah, I, I would want to see in these times that like the human empathy gets elevated, but I think it just it puts a magnifying glass on the worst of people and best of people in these situations. Yeah, you know, all the all the Karens of of 2020 came out in fucking droves. Yeah. <laughs> the four Karens of the apocalypse. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah. our, our, our one takeaway is like, you know, the years are rough. Even if we didn't have a year like 2020, like through and through, just be good to each other, be kind, be understanding of where people are going through and stand up for stuff that matters. You know, don't be complicit when there's stuff going on that really needs your voice. If you have a position of, of power and influence to do it, put yourself out there, you know, <laughs> stand up for what's right. It's, it's pretty simple, you know. While, while there's a lot of gray area it, that Bleach Japan is trying to bleach out and Yakuza like a dragon, <laughs> there's not a lot of gray, you know, when it comes to right and wrong in real life. So just, you know, stand up for what's right. That's all that really matters. So that gray is beautiful. <laughs> okay, that was the point of that game. God damn it. Number one game of the year, actually. I changed my mind. You know what I'm thinking about it? Yeah, it's Yakuza. I fucking loved it, man. There we go. Last minute switchover. Number one <laughs> game of the year. We pulled one over on you guys. Yeah, because like a dragon. <laughs> oh, anyway. Good stuff. So Good night, everybody. <laughs> we'll do the end of episode promotion. Thank you guys for listening. If you didn't know, we're the Save Room. You can find us on SoundCloud.com slash Save Room Show, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, really just all over all over the place. Find us on a, a beatbox in an alleyway. Uh, <laughs> find us in a, in a fucking uh, Sega arcade. You know, we're, we're, we're wherever you're looking. Um, you can also find us on Twitch. Kevin over at Twitch.tv slash The Red Herb. Me yeah. over at Twitch.tv slash Dungeons and Daniels. And you can find us on Twitter at Save Room Show. Let us know your game of the years. And give us criticism. Let us know, hey, this is the fourth game of the year episode you did that just got longer and longer. We need less. Less of the save room. I don't need to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you gamers always complain about wanting longer games. We give you longer podcasts. God damn it. Yeah. Just, this, this is uh, a cyberpunk of podcasts. Exactly. Listen, if you're trying to do the grind to level 99 in Yakuza, just turn us on and, you know, you still won't be level 99 by the time this podcast is That's over. That's true. And any tips that you could give the, the roommates for grinding in Yakuza like a dragon, Kevin? Oh, yeah. Uh, invested vagabonds. Oh. Destroy them destroy them in their trash bag bare-leggedness <laughs> those skinny legs topple over they give you so much experience yeah yeah you level up like it's ridiculous one to two ranks depending on it's where you're at it's terrible actually because mm. i have to kill a lot of them and there's only four in the kamarocho dungeon. it doesn't matter yeah <laughs> let's get out of here all right <laughs> guys thank you have a happy new year and remember to save your fucking games Oh, fuck it. Yeah, I got aggressive about it. 2021, coming in strong, coming in hot. God damn. All right. That's because we don't have an Animal Crossing to chill you out. That's true. (laughs) Good night. Good night.